I'm April and I'm Steph and you're listening to The Thirst, a podcast that looks at the latest in pop culture including film, TV and music as well as dissecting some very important topics of our choosing. You can find us online, Twitter at The Thirst, Facebook.com forward slash The Thirst Pod or on Instagram at The Thirst Pod. Our podbean is thethirst.podbean.com. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify by searching for The Thirst and you can also email us thethirstpod at gmail.com. If you'd like to leave us a review on things like Apple Podcasts, that would be great and if you wanted to have a look at our blog where we include links and anything else that we may mention in the episode the url for that is thethirstpod.wordpress.com also don't forget to have a look at the show notes uh this is i think episode 56 i've lost track at this point i think it's episode 56 as well because i think the last episode was a mini a mini a long mini sode I think we counted it as a special episode and therefore did not attribute a number to it. Yes, it was like an interim. What's it called when you stop and go for ice cream during the cinema? What's that called? Uh, an interval. An interval. It was an interval, I've decided. It so was. this is back yep. on track. This is episode 56. I don't have anything for 56. Do you, have you done anything for 56? Um, there's basically no trivia for 56, except that Shirley Temple had 56 curls in her hair. Specifically oh. 56 curls. I find that slightly unsettling. I do too. Her mum made sure she yep. had 56 curls in her hair. I think that's... Creepy. It's a little bit intense. Um, celebrities mm. who are aged 56, though, they're quite good. We've got uh, Shania Twain. Let's go, girls. Let's go, girls. We've got Jeffrey Dean Morgan. Hot. He's quite hot. We've got Ben Stiller. You probably think he's hot, so... Yeah, I do, unfortunately. Sorry. Obviously. Um, Slash. Don't know why he's on there, but, you know, a uh, Great man. choice in hats. I good hair. Know. Viola Davis, Bjork, first mention in the episode. Oh. And Mads Mikkelsen. Oh, well, that's good, isn't it? Our favourite Mads. Very happy 56th to all those people. Mads Mikkelsen <laughs> is the same age as Shania Twain. Oh, what, what a treat that is. I know. Lots of nice people, mostly, I think. So uh, now we've prattled around with uh, celebrity birthdays, we're on to news. So, I, I mean, I would argue that not a lot has gone on recently. I think we're seriously lacking in things to discuss generally. Well, yeah, I mean, when I went through and I was shortlisting some ideas for, of things for us to cover, it did feel a little bit like scraping the barrel. It wasn't my favourite shortlist that you've done. Yeah, that's because it was quite hard because the only one big showbiz story I have little to no interest in addressing at any point so we're just absolutely swerving that one yeah we're not talking about Johnny Depp and Amber Heard just FYI no, no and Twitter's no. talking about that enough no thank you no thank you and likewise we don't care that James Corden's leaving the late night show so mm, I only care because I hate him quite a lot so I was quite pleased I think he's going to move back to the UK though which anything you know that's worse for us I'll engage with his content even less then because... He'll probably just be on like terrestrial television, won't he? He'll be on like ITV and I'll Freeview. never watch it. You don't have it. <laughs> you don't watch Freeview, no. so it will be fine. I don't watch television. No. No, that's true, actually. You don't watch any live television. What no. live television do I watch, April? Uh, Dr. Pimple Popper. I do, it's true. And also... Naked Attraction. Yeah, they're my shows. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. <laughs> Absolute freak. Anyway, some so our shortlist uh, ended up 
as uh, a nice check-in on Megan Fox and Machine Gun Kelly, which I think we've done a few times. I feel like it's a needed check-in. Yeah, we have to check in, make sure they're okay. Um, Just check that they're still, you know, deranged. And they are. (laughs) They are. They have officially been together since 2020 now, but it does feel like 20 years. It feels like the longest period of time ever, like longer than enduring a pandemic. Far longer than any of us expected. And I'm still obsessed and embarrassed by them i'll be honest and say the embarrassment is growing day by day yeah initially it was like a 50 50 split wasn't it between like i was more 70 30 wasn't i I just really like megan fox that's fair that's fair um but now i'm just increasingly mortified at all times where they're concerned it's it's like the weird couple at school who just they just need to calm down, basically. But they're not they're not they're not gonna calm down. So the latest news from their weird camp is uh well there's a couple of things. Firstly, um Megan had a chat with Glamour magazine. I don't know if it's a magazine anymore, it's probably just a website. Glamour. It's probably just a website. She had a chat with Glamour, the blog. I don't know. Uh, and she claims that she actually manifested Machine Gun Kelly. Um, so she believes she created him by the power of manifestation because, quote, he's literally my exact physical type that I've been manifesting since I was four. There are a few things I want to unpack there. Go on. Yep. <laughs> she was four years old when she had a firm <laughs> idea of her physical type in a part four. I mean, i I've been like a Randy so-and-so for a few years, but four years old, <laughs> four. I mean, I, I give you like eight, but four. Four seems like a stretch, doesn't it? You are it? a baby. We know four-year-olds. I don't think I don't think the four-year-olds that we know would be like, do you want to hear what my exact, you know, what my future partner is going to look like? Because I have an exact physical type. <laughs> they can barely count. She was working hard and manifesting at four years old and she says that her thoughts and intentions grew him into the person that he is. Um, Who knows what he would have looked like or been like if it wasn't for me. Props to her for taking responsibility for creating a human being that she didn't give birth to or raise. I just... What is she on? Why is her exact physical type like a gangly green bean? It's very specific, isn't it? It is. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm not convinced, but I cannot believe that this was... Also, her actual... I say her actual... Her former husband, he's Mm -hmm. not very similar to machine gun kelly is he no not at all i'm just i cannot believe that like daddy long legs was her <laughs> exact physical <laughs> type when she was a child um, my theory is that the stronger that travis barker and courtney <laughs> kardashian get yeah. the more unhinged megan fox and machine gun kelly get to like counteract it they all are so embarrassing travis barker embarrasses me so much april they make me wince so so much i mean i think i would rather he who was it from blink 182 who became a scientologist or something believes in aliens was that tom delong tom delong yeah i think i would probably give him more props than travis barker at this point yeah i think he seems sane by comparison it's a lot they're all trying to outdo each other um i'm also fairly sure i read somewhere that machine gun kelly used to have a poster of megan on his wall as a teen which i think i read that as well that's a manifestation i'm impressed by really if you were to manifest your ideal person from your childhood 
Who would you be married to right now? Mm, who would I be married I'm to? I'm right concerned now? Well, mine would... would be Aaron Carter. Yeah, well, it would depend at what stage of my life we're talking. Like, are we talking like four? Who was on my wall as a teenager? When you were four? Or, or when I was four? No. Well, if it was when I was four, I would say, let's say, let's do the Megan school. So, say you were like ten. Who would ten. be your? <laughs> who would you have manifested? It would be someone in a boy band. Clearly. I think mine's Paul from S Club Seven. Is it? It might be. Or the man from Hearsay. What was his name? (laughs) Lee from Blue. Quite liked him. Noel. I think I fancied Noel. (laughs) Mine would would be like one of five, I think. That makes it sound like you've got a short list of five, by the way. It does, yeah. No, it would be someone from the band Five. Jason from Five with his eyebrow earring. (laughs) Yeah, retrospectively. Thinking about him now, it really makes sense for adulthood, just in terms of, like, he's got, like, real Tom Hardy, like, shitbag energy. I think he's got, like, British lorry driver energy. Yeah, well. <laughs> <laughs> he's probably driving a lorry now, so that does so make sorry, sense. sorry, Jay, from five. Probably earns quite a lot of money from that, more than me, so I can make fun all I like. Um, but if you were a teenager and you had someone on your wall, who would you now be married to? Uh, Jake Chillenhall, obviously. Oh, good. Yeah. Mine would be uh, Benji Madden from Good Charlotte. So Yeah. Mine would, mine would either be Jake Gyllenhaal or someone from like, I don't know, it, Gerard Way. I don't know. <laughs> Jeff from Thursday. Can't it wait to go to Thursday. your Black Parade wedding. I, for one, am glad that I am not getting engaged to anyone that I fancied as a teenager. So um, No, that feels healthy, I think. Um, and the other thing, of course, is that they like to drink each other's blood. What was that? What was that comment she said? Uh, it doesn't sound very appealing, does it? No. Yeah, apparently they drank each other's blood after getting engaged, which I think has real rip-off Angelina Jolie and Billy Bob Thornton energy, but... Well, this is my this is my thing about them actually is that they are really trying to channel like Angelina and Billy Bob for late sure nineties early two thousands weirdness the outfits the the mm. drama yeah it's, it's all there isn't it um the <laughs> the blood drinking thing um what I really liked about this is that she said uh, when she does it it's a passage Mm -hmm. she's such a hippie it's a passage or it's used for a reason i would love to know what the reason is um and it's controlled whereas apparently he is more haphazard and hectic and chaotic with his blood drinking so he will just cut his chest open with broken glass and um the haphazard approach feels wasteful to me i just feel like it's not something that one should be going about haphazardly no maybe not even not maybe not even in a controlled manner or just generally at all it just feels like something you shouldn't be doing at all no if john bernthal was like drink my blood (laughs) would you do it i think you would (laughs) i think i probably would wouldn't i uh yeah i knew the answer timothy Sad said to you I'm literally not Steph. drinking Timothy Chalamet's blood I'm so not sorry not at all you wouldn't no. even do it a little bit no I don't not know even where a drop. it's been not even if he cut his hand you wouldn't just give it a kiss no I don't trust him at all you don't trust him no Harry Styles fine Alex Skarsgård yeah it's not that you so if Alex Skarsgård was like shall we reenact some true blood plot lines oh yeah absolutely <laughs> yeah if we Definitely. if we were Definitely. Eric and Suki, I, I I want to recreate that scene with Jason and Eric in True Blood with Alex Skarsgård. Oh, 
yeah that is something i would do that's a mental image i'm going to leave you with we can move on to something else now so good for them anyway <laughs> really Great for good them. for them I'm still concerned. not good for them at all i think they're both mad but glad they're still together nice to have someone to be mad with isn't it isn't it yeah, yeah. it's nice isn't it to have company better than drinking your own blood on your own i say uh that seems wildly unsafe um it's probably safer than drinking someone else's but carry on <laughs> Um, in other news, CinemaCon took place in Las Vegas from the 25th to the 28th of April. Uh, it's a convention attended by movie theatre owners and other film industry type professionals. Um, loads of people from all around the world turn up and see lots of previews of some of the year's upcoming releases with appearances from filmmakers and stars. Um, why are we talking about CinemaCon though? Well, um, Olivia Wilde was one of those present because she was introducing her upcoming second feature, Don't Worry Darling, which is due to be released in September. However, her presentation was rudely interrupted by an, by an unidentified woman who gave her a, a manila envelope which Wilde retrieved and opened on stage. There was a lot of speculation about this. Um, I'm going to quote from Entertainment Weekly here because it actually has the quotes that she said. Uh, Olivia says, uh, this is for me. She inquired, calling it very mysterious. She said, I'm going to open it now because it feels like it's a script. Upon inspection of the papers, however, she she nonchalantly responded, OK, got it. Thank you. She gave no further indication of what the envelope contained and then continued on with her discussion about her film. It was only later on that a source confirmed that the envelope contained papers, quote, to establish jurisdiction relating to the children from Jason Sudeikis, her former partner, but that the actor wasn't aware that the handoff would occur on stage in front of everyone and he called it inappropriate. So basically she was presented with custody papers in the middle of of a presentation for her upcoming film. Starring her new boyfriend. Starring her new boyfriend. Well, this is quite the thing, isn't it? So um, Olivia Wilde and Jason Sudeikis separated in November of 2020 after nearly 10 years together. They've shared two children, Otis, who's eight, and Daisy, who's five, Olivia has been romantically uh, entangled with Harry Styles uh, since the start of 2021 um, after they were initially spotted attending a wedding together and obviously they met on the set of her film Don't Worry Darling. Um, a rep from CinemaCon told the press that they weren't really sure how the woman was able to access the stage and they planned to review the incident ASAP, though it has been reported that entrance to CinemaCon is very stringent so proper credentials would have been required to gain admittance. Everything about this just feels so incredibly embarrassing and I feel quite conflicted about it. I did some digging and legally like the I think it's this is one of those like weird nuances that happens in the States when it comes to like legal entanglings. Mm -hmm. I don't think that like serving someone with papers is a thing that really happens in the UK. But one of the things I did read about this is the only reason that she would have been presented with them like this out of the blue is if she was if they were finding it quite hard to track her down and to give her these documents in private. Yeah, so she's been evading them. And um, like we objectively find the Olivia Wilde and Harry Styles situation um fascinating due to our preoccupation with harry but yeah this just i don't know this just felt like quite the scandal at cinema it is quite scandalous isn't it yeah i don't know 
bit cringe. Yeah. I mean, you can tell she's had a lot of media training because she didn't even bat an eyelid, which I think is quite impressive. By all accounts, she handled it very professionally, which is probably the best thing that she could have done. Yeah, looked great, behaved great, lovely, um, but is completely batshit that this happened. And as you say, if someone had to have, is there a spy? Is there a mole? How did someone get in? Did they come in just for this? Did they ask someone who was already attending to... I don't know. Did they buy a badge? How did it happen? How did they get to the stage? I was listening to a podcast earlier on today that was sort of discussing the incident at hand. And one of the things that I learned is that like Jason Sudeikis's legal team would have like outsourced the serving of these papers to like another person or other agency like company or whatever um and that's like standard practice so he wouldn't have known that this was going to happen in, in such a formal way and to his credit i think the fact that he's come out and has said like it's obviously not okay that this happened and considering that he's obviously got this sort of very successful career at the moment built around ted lasso mm. where he plays a nice guy and you know there's just been lots of like nice i don't know accolades you know he's received lots of awards for yeah there's lots of niceness around it and I don't think that at this point he would do anything to kind of detract from like that brand and that like persona no I imagine things probably aren't that desperate that he was like I think you need to serve them to her at CinemaCon that's probably not I feel it's like they've out it's like the Hermes delivery version of uh outsourcing delivering papers like a really shitty delivery window it just feels really messy and it, like and like just nobody looks good either way, I think. Oh God, no way. There was like a TMZ, classic TMZ article, which was talking about like other times when this has happened as well. And mm-hmm. I don't think it's really happened with, I hadn't, I didn't see anything about like custody papers or whatever being served. But they were saying that um, Sierra, the singer, was served legal papers once in the middle of a gig... <laughs> Someone at the front of the crowd gave her a piece of paper and she was being sued for breach of contract by an LA venue for a cancelled gig. Amazing. And then there's also a really good YouTube video of Tiger um, doing a sneaker release party. And this guy comes over and asks him to sign his shoes and then halfway through just gives him some papers and then is like, yeah, I'm off. And like, (laughs) so good. I like the stealth aspect of that. I think, like, my entire concept of, like, when people are served, like, legal papers is really heavily rooted in, like, film and oh, TV. Oh, yeah. I thought you had to shout, you've been served. I thought you had to say, like, you've just been served. <laughs> you've just been apparently served. that's not the case. That's the only way. It's, it's not real if you don't shout that, I would argue. That's part of the legal, the legal I framework. I thought that genuinely, I genuinely <laughs> thought that you had to say it because it always happens on film and TV. You've been served. You've been served. You've been served. Um, Extremely mortifying, though. I just... I find it funny when anything... I mean, I know it hasn't happened to Harry in particular, but he's someone who avoids any kind of drama or, Mm. like, personal airing of his life in any way um, as an extremely famous celebrity. You just don't get anything out of him. He's very silent. So this feels like... It's just extremely bizarre to be like, wow, this is... You end up speculating about their rela- relationship and what's going on in the background. You're wow, like, wow, I wonder what's going on. Well, it's so, it's so public, isn't it? And it's like it, it unintentionally becomes about him by proxy. Because oh, yeah. obviously he is in a relationship with her. And it makes his life look messy as well. And I just can't imagine him with a messy life. 
no and it's there's been much discussion wasn't there about the fact that like was there overlap between oh there was like a two-month gap wasn't there so there probably was let's be honest there probably was an overlap and i'm not judging because no whatever these i don't know the situation so these things happen but um there was so an overlap i think there was yeah, it all seems uh, very messy and slightly embarrassing for everyone involved. So, uh, yeah. Orcs. Have we ever seen Harry Styles out with her kids? I don't think we have. I don't think we have. No. Do you think he's met them yet? That feels purposeful. Yeah. Do you think they call him uncle? Do you think they call him dad? Isn't it, like, rumoured that the, the kid that speaks at the start of his single, isn't that speculated that it might be one of Olivia's children. No, I think that isn't that like his godchildren or something. Oh, is it? Yeah, I think oh, okay. I think that's safe. I think that's safe. I'm pretty sure it's like a godchild. That would make more sense, wouldn't it? Yeah. I mean, actually, for a man who's very private, he does like to air recordings in his songs that are very closely to do with his private life. Wonder what we'll get on the album. Anyway, <laughs> I look forward to this. Just so yep. probably some nice audio of Olivia Wilde slagging off her ex-husband or something i don't know um related news though and this is hot mm-hmm. off the press for us anyway it's not two weeks later uh <laughs> so M- mgk and megan fox that that was a brilliant uh segue into this uh, this one at least slightly more joined up the actual trailer for don't worry darling has now dropped so it, new has, line, it, it has new line cinema has finally finally released the trailer the first trailer for Don't Worry Darling, which is, as you said, the new movie directed by Olivia Wilde and starring Florence Pugh and Harry Styles. Um, We get to see a bit more of the film's premise and sort of tone in this one, as well as the cast, which also stars Chris Pine. Um, Olivia Wilde is also starring in it. Gemma Chan. I don't think I realised that. I don't think I did either until I saw this trailer. So I'm glad you said that because I was like, oh, she's in it as well as fine why not put yourself in the film you're directing sure sure why not um also stars nick kroll and kiki lane so um here is the premise which i have nicked from the internet was definitely not written by me so we've got alice who is played by florence Pugh, and jack played by harry styles and they're living in the community of victory the experimental company town housing the men who work for the top secret victory project and their families And the Victory Project is led by CEO Frank, who's played by Chris Pine. While the husbands spend every day inside the Victory Project headquarters working on the development of progressive materials, quote unquote, their wives, including Frank's partner, Shelley, who's played by um, uh, Olivia Wilde, I think. Yes, yes. Get to spend their time enjoying the beauty, luxury and debauchery of their community. Life, you can tell I didn't write this. Life is perfect <laughs> with every resident's needs met by the company. All they ask in return is discretion and unquestioning commitment to the victory cause. But when cracks in their idyllic life begin to appear, exposing flashes of something much more sinister lurking beneath the attractive facade, Alice can't help questioning exactly what they're doing in victory and why. Just how much is Alice willing to lose to expose what's really going on in this paradise? Um, how did you feel about this trailer? Um, I do, it's interesting because I don't know what I was expecting, like, plot-wisey. I'm, I'm really, like, so, so sold on the period piece of it all. It looks like it gorgeous, me, doesn't it? I doesn't think, it? It yeah. gives me, like big big madmen yes. like john cheever energy which i'm very very into um it, i just like chris pine 
is so handsome. He's so handsome, isn't he? He has such a perfect face. Yeah. Like... It's very symmetrical. Isn't it? Pleasure to see him. Lovely. Haven't seen him in a while. No, no. That's what I'm sort of... I don't know. It'll be nice to see him back in something. Um, Florence does her little sad face, which is my favourite I love her little sad mouth. Her little sad mouth. Her little pull-down mouth. Did you pick up on Harry's accent, non-accent? Yeah, so I, I had a, tell. I had a running commentary of thoughts on this. Um, and firstly, it was that Harry Styles would make a cute husband. Secondly, I just initially I thought in the first scene with her, him and her in bed, I thought maybe he did have an accent, but I'm fairly mm-hmm. sure that they just haven't made him do an American accent, which is no, really good I because I just it's don't think the best. there's any way he could do an accent other than his own, which is fair, no. fine. So thank yeah. God they didn't make him do that. Um, I really like their chemistry already. It helps that I love them both, but... Of course. I do I do think they, they seem very nice together. Um, Chris Pine is some sort of cult leader-esque CEO come crazy psychopath. I was thinking about the fact that if he asked me to join a cult, I fully would join you, one. You would, so. wouldn't you? With hair like mm. that. Yeah. With hair like that, you just would. Um, I can't, I can barely watch Harry approaching Florence's groin with his mouth. It's like staring at the sun. So that initial bit, I was losing my mind. And then the fucking table thing that was the part where when I watched it, I was like, Christ, lost this it. is going to like absolutely ruin you. I can't watch this in the cinema. It's going to be horrendous. It's going to be a lot, isn't it? <laughs> it's going to be so much. Um, we get angry Harry as well. That's a new Harry for us. We don't ever see angry Harry. Angry barking Harry. Did you spot Dita Von Teese as well? No, is she in it? Yeah, she's the burlesque dancer. Oh. Yeah, wow, sure, okay. fine. Um, I think it was sort of, tonally what I was expecting just because there has been mention of it being a kind of thriller psychological thriller Mm -hmm. before but it's definitely got like yeah it's like madman come stepford wives black swan jordan peele like i don't know there's yeah there's a totally i think it's just odd i mean olivia wilde's first film was book smart so they just couldn't be more different I'm glad that you mentioned like Stepford Wives, which is like feels like an inevitable comparison. Oh, yeah. But it gave me like Jordan Peele energy as well from the trailer. So yeah, and not just for the red jumpsuits near the end, but there's definite. I don't know. I think it's that. I guess it probably is that sense of like psychological tension mm, and like yeah. sort of sort of mental unraveling. I guess there's like a lot of gaslighting as well, which just feels yeah. It's it's got like a vibe to it. Um, but it is just so different to what we've had from Olivia Wilde before, which granted isn't much, but this is, I feel like the performances will be amazing, but who knows about the film itself? Yeah, I'm definitely intrigued by it, probably slightly more than I was. My prior, I don't know, conception of it was just that like, well, I'm obviously going to have a good time because it's Harry and Florence and yes. I like, love them Lovely pairing. But now I'm actually kind of, yeah, now I'm just kind of intrigued as to like where it's going to go and in, in what directions it's going to follow. So, yeah, I think even uh, yeah. without, if they if they hadn't been casted, I think based on the trailer, we'd be intrigued anyway. Oh yeah, but yeah, definitely. I honestly could not tell you whether, I have got no inkling whether it's going to be good in the slightest. Yeah, could go either way, couldn't it? Could go either way. But fortunately, we now only have to wait until the 23rd of September. So the end is in sight. I'm looking forward to us having to talk about 
Horny Harry. God, we'll need a full episode. It's going to be exciting, isn't it? So on to a few things that we've been catching up with recently. Um, and the first one's a big one. We've been talking about this for a number of years. I think the entire pandemic, we were waiting for this film to drop. It is The Northman. Um, and it's an epic Viking revenge film directed by Robert Eggers, who co-wrote the screenplay with Sean. Eggers is, of course, known for writing and directing The Witch and The Lighthouse uh, and for being my spooky boyfriend. And I think we've we've spoken about both of those films at length before. Um, he is my spooky boyfriend, let's be honest. Uh, and then Sean is an Icelandic poet, novelist and lyricist. He's uh, He was also a musician. He used to be in a band with Bjork. Um, and I had a drink with him at the pub once. I was really hoping you were going to drop that in I there. have to drop it in. It's like one of my only claims to fame at this point is that for some reason or another, I ended... I can't even remember why he was there. But en- anyway, I ended up having a pint with Sean in a pub in Norwich. So that's lovely, isn't it? Nice man. So I was very excited that he was on this uh, part of this project. Um, so the film stars just a few notable names. We've got... Alexander Skarsgård, who also produced the film, Nicole Kidman. Is it Clay's Bang? I think I say Clay's, yeah. Clay's Bang, Anya Taylor-Joy, Ethan Hawke, your mate, Bjork and Willem Dafoe and many others. And it's based on the legend of Amleth, who is a figure in medieval Scandinavian legend. And he's the direct inspiration of the character of Prince Hamlet, the hero of William Shakespeare's tragedy, Hamlet. So the plot, according to Google is uh, that Prince Amleth is on the verge of becoming a man when his father is brutally murdered by his uncle, who kidnaps the boy's mother. Two decades later, Amleth is now a Viking who raids Slavic villages. He soon meets a seeress who reminds him of his vow, save his mother, kill his uncle, avenge his father. So Eggers became interested in making a Viking film following a 2016 trip to Iceland with his wife, who sadly is not me, Um, and uh, he's a big fan of, I think she's a big fan of old Norse sagas, and he got really into the kind of the storytelling and the history. Um, And during that trip, Eggers also met Bjork, who in turn introduced him to Sean, which sounds like an amazing meetup. And for some reason also, when I first read this, I could have sworn I read that they were on a skiing trip. Definitely weren't on a skiing trip, but I like to think... Can you imagine? Imagine Robert Eggers skiing. I like the idea of him skiing and meeting Bjork, like, at a ski resort. So that's, in my head, that's how it worked. Yeah, it does seem sort of like that's how Robert Eggers would end up meeting Bjork just skiing down a mountain on the slopes why not yeah sure normal (laughs) just totally normal Skarsgård had wanted to make a Viking film for several years and Eggers decided to make the film his third project after the pair met to discuss uh, possible collaborations Eggers subsequently reached out to Sean and the two began researching and writing the screenplay for The Northman Filming started in August 2020 and it finally had its theatrical release here in the UK on the 13th of April. So I think we've mentioned this film on the podcast before. We've talked about it a couple of times as a much anticipated film that we couldn't wait to see. So I would say our expectations were pretty high, wouldn't you? I just feel like we were mentioning this film at like 
every eventuality every opportunity. possible. I know. Like probably spent the last two years of like very fractured podcast recording going like, do you know what I'm looking forward to? Can't wait it's for the, the Northmen. Northmen. I know. Just bloody can't wait. I just bloody can't wait. Oh God, I know. I mean, we've said a million times, Eggers is one of my favourite directors of recent years since we saw The Witch. And I'm sure we talked about that on the podcast before as well. Yeah, I think we did. And we talked about The Lighthouse when we saw it at London Film Festival. That was easily one of both of our favourite films of 2019. Um, And that's, I think, my favourite film of his so far. Yeah, same. And that early announcement of a Viking epic kind of felt completely, for me, I felt it it felt totally alike and unlike Robert Eggers because Mm. it's something historical with the sort of the possibility of being really weird steeped in folk tales it was like absolutely his shit but also the epic element is so much larger and grander than his previous films which are way more sort of claustrophobic very small cast so it did feel Mm. like a little bit different yeah definitely I feel like I'm always I don't know, really impressed by like his level of research and attention to detail. So like when it was announced that he was going like full Viking saga, I was like intrigued and hopeful like about the premise and execution of it. You knew he'd go full nerd on the details. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And then particularly because he was getting Sean involved, like it felt like, oh, okay, like he's doing it properly. Mm -hmm. Not that there was any doubt that he wouldn't do it properly because like when is he ever not? Like he's he's so meticulous. Mm -hmm. But it was just, I was sort of like, oh, okay, well actually if he's getting someone with like Icelandic heritage and someone, you know, like Sean involved, it felt like, well, you know. He's like, yeah, Sean's like a really reputable artist and writer. um, And I think most properties would be fairly safe in his hands. So it did Mm. feel like a really good collaboration, didn't it? And we started to get those cast members announced. So obviously Alexander Skarsgård. And initially we had Bill Skarsgård as well. That's my only regret is that we didn't get the two of them I was so gutted but then we got Bjork and we got Ethan Hawke we got Willem Dafoe it's like wow this film is pretty much designed for us it felt like it ticked so many of our boxes didn't it I think it was just the double header of like Alex Skarsgård being announced and then obviously Bill's involvement initially and then like the addition of Ethan Hawke it just felt like this really has been tailor made for you and I like we were just like fuck like even if it's rubbish like it's just not going to be with those people in it though is it it's just not going to be and it and it's starting to feel like you've got that kind of Eggers family now so you've got Anya Taylor-Joy and Willem Dafoe Ralph Innocent was back it's like oh you can kind of see this yeah it's always like a um I don't know it's got this like I I hate not like a family but it has got like a bit of a you know there's a lot of love behind it and a lot of people involved because they really enjoy working with each other which I think is really nice yeah and I feel like it's interesting when you think about like Eggers's background in having sort of been really involved in the theatre as well Mm. because he does seem to be like amassing this little like ongoing cast of players and like obviously lots of directors objectively do do that they have people that they will work with again and again um but it just where Robert Eggers is concerned it just feels like they're such specifically like odd character actors (laughs) it does feel a little bit like a theatre troupe for sure absolutely and I guess the only thing that maybe was different about this film I mean obviously the scale of it would be different but it was that kind of studio that studio input so this was a much Mm. bigger budget I think 
The Witch was about four million, which actually, which actually is a huge amount of money to me, but is very small for a film. The Lighthouse was about 10, 11 million, and this was about 70 to 90 million. So much bigger budget. Um, so it would have a studio involved. And I think that was probably the point where we were like, that's, that's the only thing that's making me slightly nervous is how much studio interference is there going to be? We've waited for years for this and I just really don't want it to feel i was worried that it would be it would just be a lot tamer than Mm, we would expect i think i just i totally anticipated that the studio interference might be oh you can't do that it's too weird well that's the thing about robert eggers films as well is that they feel like very robert eggers Mm -hmm. like he feels like someone after only you know a handful of films has already got his like stylistic tropes yeah. and just like his visual playbook that he sort of utilizes um and i was really worried like you that like this being on a larger scale would mean that that would de- like it would detract from that yeah somewhat. yeah it wouldn't just be he has a very precise vision doesn't he and mm. this mm. i don't know ran the risk of maybe not being that but i also couldn't imagine a scenario where he just did like a mainstream quote unquote mainstream sorry to say that eye roll but you know like a bigger budget yeah yeah bigger audience blockbuster friendly Mm. viking historical film so i think we knew it wouldn't be like that but yeah i i think we weren't sure but initial reactions so was it what was it what you expected um well it's interesting actually like reflecting on it i sort of a couple of weeks after having seen it i'm actually not really sure what i expected Mm -hmm. But then similarly, I think it is what I expected. Yeah. If that makes any sense whatsoever. I just, I felt, I spent a lot of time afterwards kind of thinking like, well, actually, what did I expect? Like Mm -hmm. what I wanted ultimately is for it to feel like a Robert Eggers film. Mm -hmm. And it does. Like it's very much a Viking epic, isn't it? Like it looks incredible. The cinematography is like... Amazing. Wonderful. Amazing Mm -hmm. as you would expect. Like the, just the execution of it is just insane Mm -hmm. like there's particular moments in it's obviously like there's the initial raid on the village at the beginning Mm -hmm. like the entire kind of like setting aside the sort of um beginning part where you've got like amleth as a child and the ethan hawk and the you know that that section of it like that when you get to sort of the part where amleth has grown up and you see him how he's sort of undertaken this role within um you know as a berserker alongside some sort of viking raiders that entire moment that was when i was just like holy shit like he has done he's doing the robert eggers thing so he's doing like the one long shots Mm -hmm. where it's all a continuous like we follow amleth through this journey and then this raid and that was the point where i was like actually like he is basically doing those sort of like very very like intense robert eggers things (laughs) but just on a grander scale yeah it is isn't it it's it's I think at this point it's the most unoriginal thing I could ever say because most of the internet has said it, but it does literally feel like a Robert Eggers film on a studio budget. So as you say, the direction and the performances and the themes are really on point and were kind of what I expected, but the scale and the production values were bigger. And you could kind of... I think you could tell the studio influence, like it it had a faster pacing, it had more Mm. action, everything felt bigger so it Mm. kind of made i mean i'm sure we'll talk about this but it was quite surprising that eggers didn't get the final cut on this i think that was the thing that really surprised both of us 
I am I am like utterly, utterly fascinated with that. And I feel like I could sit and pontificate about that for hours as well. And there's like a really interesting New Yorker profile on Robert Eggers, which talks about the editing process, which I'll link to on the blog and in the show notes as well, because that's definitely worth reading if, if that's something that interests you. And that piece mm-hmm. in particular was just fascinating because he just talks about the difficulty of the edit process. And, and he was really upfront how... about it, wasn't it? About yeah. how actually it was really painful and he didn't like giving it away at all yeah like he's just been really really open and explicit about the fact that he didn't get the actual sort of real control over it that he normally does with his smaller Mm -hmm. project but that's what happens with a bigger studio film and he also made it sound like he might not do that again Mm, yeah that's the vibe i got um which is sort of yeah, interesting, sort of a relief, sort of like, oh, it's a shame because he won't have the, you know, for him anyway, he might not have the biggest studio budget again. But yeah, really interesting that he's gone through that exercise. And I'd, I'd love to know what exactly, I mean, I'm, you know, as I said, I sort of reading between the lines, it feels like they probably sacrificed a few scenes and they said like, you really need to pick up the pace. But I'd really be interested to know what exactly they said to him like if we got a director's cut or something i'd be very interested to see it but it felt very dark violent fucking weird very intense so in that sense very much an eggers film yeah there's all of the you know the strands of the kind of like norse paganism mm-hmm. the sort of like ritualistic nature all the rituals and sort of you know scandinavian religion you know like pre-christianity all of that felt like such a Robert Eggers, like, little, I don't know, thing, didn't it? Like, that felt like very much one of his, like, pet projects. Yeah, you could tell he did a deep dive. Um, mm. Yeah, on the story and themes, actually. So we have this fairly simple premise. It's it's a revenge tale. We follow Amleth on his journey to save his mother, kill his uncle, avenge his father. Um, you can absolutely read the threads of Hamlet from the outset. I hadn't realised in advance of this that Amleth was the basis for Hamlet personally. Mm. I didn't know that it came from that story, but I could tell very early on, you could tell that like, the, you could see the outline of Hamlet pretty much yeah. from the start yeah, yeah, with yeah. Ethan Hawke. So, um, and it has that, it also has that feel of like an epic quest, like many other legends. It's kind of got that biblical feel to it too. Um, and yeah, it's got Hamlet who's not really a man, He's not just a man embarking on some sort of noble mission to avenge his father. He's just a man filled with hate, really, isn't he? Yeah, it's very much that, like, the sort of being consumed by vengeance and revenge and anger. There's lots in there about, like, whether questing for that actually brings you any closure. Does it make things worse? You know, like, there's... um, Obviously, because Amleth loses his father as a child and he witnesses his father's death and then that's what propels him you know to sort of escape and then embark upon this eventual like vengeance quest Mm -hmm. there's you know the notion of sort of having this very idealistic view about someone that you love Mm -hmm. um and then actually like when you're so consumed by that and the hatred and the anger around that what happens when you actually do anything about it 
don't do you make yourself feel any better and yeah. then what actually happens when like that illusion is is shattered yeah absolutely i'm going to be the only person in the world actually when you were talking about that and his kind of single-mindedness i'm going to talk about russian doe in a bit so i'm going to say we're the only ones in the world i'm going to draw a parallel between russian doll season two and the northman in terms of their single-mindedness um yeah. but yes you're absolutely right it's yeah, it's about families and fathers and sons in particular. And as you say, that kind of what happens when you have an idea of, you know, your father and who he is and bloodlines and ritual and myth sort of interspersed with the kind of trademark violence and sex that we're sort of familiar with thanks to what well, thanks to history and also other like TV shows like Vikings which I haven't watched but I've seen snippets of from Mm -hmm. Wes watching it and it's like it's just a lot of violence and sex really Um, but what you mentioned before what I really liked about it was the way that reality and mythology were very very intertwined so it wasn't just you've got the you know the quote-unquote the real moments and then the the sort of mythological moments the sort of the superstition and the belief and the storytelling are such an integral part of life then and the afterlife for the vikings that you've got these like amazing scenes of ritual and ceremony and visions and sort of sorcery that are peppered all the way through and they're of course they're the really weird bits and the bits that I loved easily the most like that coming of age ritual with Amleth and his father probably your favorite bit I would imagine because Ethan Hawke barks like a dog bork bork yeah insane absolutely insane (laughs) that was the point where I was just like even if the rest because that happens in like probably the first quarter of the film and I was like you know what even if the back half of this like Edgar's absolutely sticks the landing, which he doesn't. But he, I, at that point, I was like, you know, even if he does, he's given me Ethan Hawke crawling on all fours with long hair, barking like a dog. Like, <laughs> so good. What more could I want from anything? Right. But, um, but then we've got we've got Amleth meeting the seeress, who's Bjork, which was amazing. You've got the he witch and the full skull, which is like absolutely insane the berserker dance the valkyrie there's all these mythological elements and sort of elements of ritual and ceremony which feel very present and real and that reminded me of the witch and that kind of spoilers you know like that moment near the end well throughout it but especially that moment that goya-esque moment at the end where you're like is this real or is this just happening it maybe it's just happening and that was kind of the same vibe that i got with this that you've got kind of reality and then you've got these moments of sort of witchcraft that are sort of threaded all the way through I thought it was really clever, the execution of of the kind of the Norse mythology and the paganism and the ritual traditions, particularly if you think about, and I know like very little about Scandinavian history and, and that particular time, the particular time period mm-hmm. that the Northman is taking place in but it I, I do find it fascinating and it comes up later on in the film that obviously this is a land that is so rooted in its own country's mm. like religious traditions and they're in a period where actually there is the the Christianity mm-hmm. the looming Christianity you know there's a the, there's a fear of Christianity the fear of Christians mm. um, and the way that actually Christianity does not very long after this eventually kind of take over yeah. the country and that's something that obviously like Scandinavia and countries like Iceland and Norway and etc like still grapple with and um, you've made an, a sensible allusion to Russian Doll it reminded me about the fact that I really unintentionally spent some time uh, last weekend 
watching and reading a lot about uh, black metal oh, bands. Of course, that Norway. was very timely, wasn't it? Yeah, and it did. It was making me kind of think about the fact that that's sort of something that comes mm. up in that particular period where there's been a lot of, well, in the 90s where there were a lot of church burnings that were sort of a, a, a ill-advised reaction to the way that Christianity had overtaken mm-hmm. countries like Norway and sort of papered over their own existing you know ritual paganism traditions Mm. and obviously that was used for really like negative means (laughs) but it was just it it just made for an interesting comparison to the northmen where you sort of see that like actually like you know they had these things that were well established that were rooted in things like family tradition and you know like the the nature aspect to it the land the sort of you know fantastical nature of these incredibly beautiful countries and the the sort of the historical element as well you mentioned the kind of the film I think does uh, spoilers I really liked it but the I think there was a really good balance of the kind of known and the unknown elements of history mm-hmm. and I think there was quite yeah. a lot of talk in advance and I know we'd had a conversation in advance about historical accuracy um, which to be honest doesn't bother me either way but mm-hmm. you know there was a lot of discussion about it beforehand and how much of this film would be you know, historically accurate and all of those kinds of things. And again, where is the kind of film where there are details that are known and then there are gaps filled with sort of imagination and approximations. And I think some of that is really interesting as well. So mm-hmm. I know there are a bunch of historical consultants on this film. So yeah. there was a lot of attention to detail paid to sort of direction and costume and all of those bits. So as you, mm. you know, as you said, like it was a chance for like Eggers and his team to really nerd out basically and go really deep in the detail. But then there's, yeah, this kind of, filling in of the gaps or sort of I don't know I just think there's moments like the the coming of age ritual which you mentioned is I think the the one ritual that's solely fabricated like I think Sean was Mm -hmm. basically like I just like the idea of it we should do that yeah Um, but then a lot of the other ritual was obviously based on sort of texts and accounts and archaeological finds and all of those bits Mm -hmm. and pieces but I I really like the way that that kind of all knitted together and you know it's obviously it's not a film that intends to be completely historically accurate but I think it's really interesting to be able to go back after you've seen the film and kind of read a bit about what was based on yeah quite historical find what was just kind of like you know what I just want like two naked dudes to fight in a volcano I just think that would look cool as shit but it's just it's really interesting I think that was the thing for me actually was like after we'd seen it was sort of reading not only about the actual history behind things like the berserkers Mm -hmm. and sort of where they originated and what they did and their sort of you know the traditions that they had um, and what their purpose was alongside you know viking raiders but it was I just get the impression based on sort of interviews that I've read and other articles I spent time with after seeing the film that like Eggers knew that tackling vikings and tackling this area of kind of like norse history comes with a lot of baggage oh my and subsequently god so much. he did do a lot of you know research and reading and also got on board a lot of people to ensure that you know a, a degree of historical accuracy mm-hmm. because like you say i don't think it's you know across the board like this is exactly what happened but you know damn well that it's really rooted in conversations that he'll have had with historical 
scholars etc and and to ensure that you know what he's representing is as near to the truth as possible yeah absolutely i mean i find it i do find it interesting i mean we're not going to talk at length about like all the twitter discourse beforehand but no no i do find it it is very interesting to hear um the amount of speculation around sort of eggers intentions with this film and like the yeah the picking apart of the detail of the film as in how much of it is accurate blah 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 when i mean do people do that with vikings the tv show no idea it's just it's interesting yeah i don't i i mean maybe it's because i do not engage with vikings the tv show at all but i i have found and i know we've dis- we've discussed it between ourselves i have found the reaction to the Northmen and to Egger's intentions like very interesting <laughs> from the point of view that it's just sort of like it feels inevitable like that was one of the things that we discussed wasn't it was that, oh, yeah. like, actually unfortunately if you are tackling things like this topics like this um there is an inevitability that people are going to be are going to have their guard up mm-hmm. because of the way that things like Norse mythology mm-hmm. have been co-opted mm-hmm. for for you know bad yeah for, for, for bad you know for, for not, very for yeah. not ge- generally not good reasons absolutely um but he's been very like he's been asked that he's been asked questions like that um during the press tour and he's been very transparent about talking about actually like how he completely understands why people come to the film or may come to the film with those concerns Mm -hmm. but that he similarly had the same concerns Mm -hmm. and actually when he visited Iceland and he talked to Sean like you know he kind of saw that actually there's a lot of beauty there's a lot of you know really interesting history there Mm -hmm. that's worth unpacking yeah and and that you shouldn't not do that because of the way that it's been co-opted if that makes sense it's not exactly a film that's casting Vikings in a positive light, isn't no, it? No, so not at all. The, the brutality that was sort of taking place, like that is very much there in the film up front. No one's particularly nice in this, so I wouldn't no, say it's casting anything no. in a glamorous light. So it is, it's slightly... Is slightly. I mean, it's just a very internet thing, isn't it? That we would spend this much mm. time worrying about that and not actual white supremacists who are out there. But it's... As you say, it's quite, I don't know, I don't want to say interesting again, but um, it's, yeah, there is a lot to consider and unpack and, I don't know, sort of team apart um, with that. It's very, very layered, but then, you know, from my perspective, there's a lot about, you know, like Iceland specifically yeah. and the entire like regional history of the area that I knew very, very little about. And actually seeing the film, I then went and did like additional reading around it. And that in itself was just like really interesting. It's very, yeah, like you say, it kind of um, encourages you to go back mm. and do your homework, doesn't it? In a way that's really great. Um, cast and characters wise, I do feel like we have to touch on it. So Alexander Skarsgård, ripped, intense, primal in my initial reaction section i just written alexander skarsgård's muscles oh my god the size of the man um i have to say that there was a point after we'd had oscar novak as young amleth who i thought was very good um he was when really we good. were yeah brilliant when we were first introduced to adult amleth 
aka very ripped Alexander Skarsgård, you reached over in the cinema and <laughs> took my hand in the dark and squeezed it, um, which is standard behaviour between us. Yeah, but standard, then almost standard. simultaneously, Wesley Brown reached over the other side and took Love my other so hand much. and squeezed it. And I was like, oh my God, my best people supporting me what a good support in this endeavour. It was just wonderful. I was like, look at these people giving my hand a squeeze, letting me know they're there. I loved it. Great. Um, I did think, deeply biased, but I did think he was very good. He's really good. He's really good. I feel like he manages. And also, right, so this is one of the things I think that genuinely made him so great in true blood like you mm-hmm. can think about true blood whatever you want but the reason that he's the reason that he's so good as eric is that he manages to balance this like absolute bloody brutality of him as a vampire and the actual kind of like soft like vulnerability of him and he does something he genuinely does something very similar in the northman in that you see him in this like really really animalistic primal state and then you look at his face it's and the he just eyes. has like extreme sadness in the eyes it's very sad eyes oh he was just really good i was really surprised yeah in like a fuck yeah like you you get him he's so good um we shout out Ethan Hawke, obviously, for his howling. Oh, he did guy. very well. My guy. Lovely to see him. I just I just love him. I just love him so much. Suits a long hair, like doesn't he? It really works for him. It does. I uh, really enjoyed that he just fully, fully did not lean into any kind of accent whatsoever. No. Love that. You just do what you want, Ethan. Do what you do. Just do what you want. Just honestly, you know, I've watched absolute garbage with him in. <laughs> Um, for and this him, wasn't obviously. one of them. Yeah, no, he was fucking great. Great, he made a good king. We had Anya Taylor Joy as Olga. Didn't hate her. Didn't hate that her. That feels like personal growth. It does, doesn't it? Uh, that was what I thought immediately after leaving the cinema. I was like, do you know what? I didn't hate her, and that's a that's a that's a good thing. Well done, us. Um, Willem Dafoe as Jaime the Fool, who is easily one of the most memorable performances. Always is absolutely wild, insane. He's just mad, isn't he? Mad, batshit, love it, amazing, just the best. He never does a bad performance though, so no, you know that's not, not a surprise. We got Bjork as the CRS, so short but sweet, but. An absolute nice treat, to see rhyming there. Yeah, just lovely. Perfect casting, I'd say. Yep. Nicole Kidman's face. What's going on there? I've written, Nicole Kidman's face just doesn't move anymore, does it? No, doesn't move. Um, I will say yeah. that this is the best that I think that she's been in anything in a, while. a while. Probably since Big Little Lies. Like, she was good in that. She has a very good dynamic with Alex Skarsgård, I think. Mm, Obviously, yeah. very different dynamics, apparently. Well, maybe not, actually. We've got we've got mothers and sons, we've got husbands and wives, but I think they do very well together. And yeah, I think I you're do. right. I no offense can find her performances to be hit and miss sometimes, and I think she was very good in this. Um, well done to her face for not moving. <laughs> nice to see Ralph Innocent and Kate Dickey. Lovely. I did love lovely. That. Um I don't think there was a bad performance in it. No, Klaus Bang is is, oh, yeah. is brilliant. Hot. Oh, hot. Who'd have thunk it? There were lots of there were lots of hot people in this. Very Two, I say. No, three. We had three. We got three. three. That's many. That's pretty good for me. Um, I just can't believe how big Alexander Skarsgård was. Just so large. In in the week after seeing the film, every so often I would just be doing something, usually just at work, and then I would just be thinking about like his muscles. Was it definition. the coat hanger shoulders? Insane. It was. Good yeah, Lord. and then I um and then I I noticed that in every like Robert Eggers interview 
I'd read or had listened to subsequently, he just kept mentioning Alexander Skarsgård's muscles. And I was like, yeah, fair play. Glad he's enamoured as well. We're all in love. It's just a big physical transformation for him. Um, Looming. Can't say I ever saw Tarzan, so I was glad to get my... uh, I was glad to get fed in this context. Does it make you want to watch no, Tarzan? No, absolutely not. No, no, okay, fine. no, absolutely. No. I can't do it. it. I think it would do like a, <laughs> like a Tom Hardy and Venom put me off. I just, Undo the good work. I just have so little respect for him. So we, it's a blip on his lovely resume. Yeah, so do. it's fine. Um, how does it stand next to other Eggers films? Then is it? Where does it rank for you? Do you want my ranking? Yeah, go on. Um, at the moment, it's like jostling for second mm-hmm. place. Like, ultimately, I think The Lighthouse is definitely my favourite. Yeah. Just because of, like, I have really, really fond memories of being, like, slightly delirious <laughs> when we saw it at LFF because it was so late at night I'm and they so were running tired. late. And I was so tired and it honestly felt like a fever dream yeah. watching it. it like, I felt like I'm, I felt like I was experiencing some sort of plot loss. Yeah. In a good way, like I know this is really lending itself well to the film. And then when we saw it again for the second time and I was more coherent, I was like, this, do you know what? Like, so it's one good. of those films where I think you're either really on board and you're sold on it or you kind of come away for it and just go like, what the fuck? But for me, I'm obviously very much in that former camp. I have no respect for anyone who doesn't like that film. No, I don't. But like, yeah, so I think ultimately like The Lighthouse is my favourite. Um I feel like, like at the end of the day, though, right? He he doesn't make bad films. It's a hat trick, really, isn't it? It doesn't saying least favorite of the three doesn't say much because. Yeah, not at all. Like it, it, ultimately, I think the Northman feels like very in keeping with his level of attention to detail and his execution. Like like we've like we've said about fifteen times, it felt like Eggers on a bigger budget. Yeah, and like. Ultimately, all I was worried about going into it was that it wouldn't feel like a Robert Eggers film, and it does. Yes, absolutely does. I completely agree. Um, I think it's probably my... Oh, I don't know. I feel like at the moment I'm putting it third, but only because I've only Mm -hmm. seen it once, so that might change. Um, I do love the other films a lot. Yeah, I'm intrigued to see how it holds up to repeat viewings. Like, Mm -hmm. I feel like I'll take more from it. Absolutely. There are things I... I wasn't wholly sold on initially with the first viewing. April, like I... was it the family tree? <sighs> was it the I CGI just... family tree? It was the CGI family tree. And I'm honestly desperate to know if that's one of the things that like the studio made him add in. Have you thought about putting some CGI in here, Rob? Have you thought about doing like a CGI like family tree just to really emphasise how... The fam, the father and son aspect of it. Do you think that you can really hit people over the head with the with it in a CGI aggressive way? That's the only part of it that I'm just like when I when we came out when you Wesley and I left the cinema. That was the thing where I was like, mm, guys, I just don't know how I feel about that. It was mercifully short, at least there wasn't. Yeah. A, I mean, not the film. The film was very long, but I actually didn't feel like it felt that long. Like I, those sections weren't laboured in a way that like was too off putting. But yes, I agree with you. They they weren't great, were they? But I I basically grinned like an idiot through the whole thing and was very absorbed. Just had a great time. Had a great that, time. That final, the final scene. Oh my God. That was a good payoff, I think. Yeah. We had a, a kind of not, I, I would say not an entirely surprising, but very well enacted twist. And then we had this extremely epic ending, which just worked so well um, and felt very satisfying, didn't it? Yeah, yeah, very much so. Like I, you, you get the payoff mm-hmm. on like a really grand scale. 
fireworks, fires. Like literal fiery intensity. Yeah. Naked. Big swords. Big unsheathed swords. There's so much erotica to be written about that final scene. Um, Yeah, I think it's why I'm really intrigued to see it a second time, actually. Yes, me too. Just to see how it, like, now... Because I think I was ultimately just really overwhelmed by the prospect of finally seeing it. There being so much going on. There being the the sort of, like, dual intensity of, Mm -hmm. like, Alex Garsgård, Ethan Hawke. Like, I just felt, like, really, like... It was, like, a real sensory overload. It was, wasn't it? We had a great time. Can't wait to see it again. Should we just finish the podcast now and go? Yeah, sure. Let's just go. Off we go. Bye. Bye. So as you uh, so wonderfully alluded to, we're going to talk about some TV now and we're going to talk about the second season of Russian Doll. Um, So we have covered the first season on the podcast many moons ago, but for a little reminder, Russian Doll is an American comedy drama TV series created by Natasha Lyonne, Leslie Highland and Amy Poehler. The series follows Nadia Volvakov, a game developer who repeatedly dies and relives the same night in an ongoing time loop and tries to solve it, leading to her finding Alan in the same situation. So season one premiered on Netflix way back in February 2019 and was renewed for a second season that summer, though COVID obviously delayed the filming of this, which was pushed from March 2020 to March 2021. Season two, however, did eventually premiere recently on April the 20th and features a similarly off-the-wall premise nadia is 10 days away from celebrating her 40th birthday when the sixth train sends her back in time to 1982 she soon discovers that she's trapped inside the body of her mother who's pregnant with nadia she then decides to pursue the gold cougarans her mother lost the same year in order to change the course of her family's history um so as well as natasha leone returning obviously as nadia there are new additions to the cast including annie murphy Charlotte copley and chloe sweeney was bumped up from a series guest to cast regular so I think it's fair to say we did really like the first season but what were your expectations going in um I will be honest and say I didn't think it needed a second season or I wasn't same <laughs> like season one came together so beautifully and it felt like a really satisfying end and I couldn't I couldn't envision how they'd continue the story. Like, is, you know, are Nadia and Alan going to get sucked into another Groundhog Day? I didn't, I don't know. I just, I couldn't envision them doing something so clever and funny and succinct again. Um, And I know we, you know, we both enjoyed it so much that we were obviously going to give season two a try. And we both have a lot of love for Natasha Leon. But another season did feel like a big ask. And I was really surprised that they'd to learn that they'd always envisioned a three season arc because I totally yeah. thought this I could have totally assumed this was a case of Netflix greenlighting a show that was very popular and forcing it into a second run. So um and also season one was three years ago, as you say, so I really enjoyed it. I've kind of forgotten the granular detail of it. So I was yeah. slightly like I mean, I have a notoriously bad memory anyway, but I was like, how will I even remember what happened in order to start season two? Like, am I going to have to rewatch it? That's exactly how I felt. I think I had like little to no expectations. I'd really enjoyed season one. I have a like deep obsession with Natasha Leone mm-hmm. anyway, but I'd like you, I'd also felt that like season one existed as a nice little capsule standalone. Mm-hmm. I think I must have missed that they were going to do three seasons too. I didn't know that. No, and particularly like given that, 
Alan and Nadia had sort of solved their lip yeah. conundrum yeah, at the end had. of season yeah. one. Um, I wasn't really sure where they could go beyond that. COVID has definitely dampened any hype and momentum I'd had for the second season to the point where I think I'd just blocked it out anything, of my mind. Yeah, anything pre-COVID is basically like a whole lifetime ago at this point. Yeah, I think I must have seen like set pictures like I definitely seen some paparazzi pictures of like Natasha Leone and Annie Murphy filming it mm-hmm. so I did know that it was obviously happening but when it sort of appeared online I was like oh yeah of course that's a that's a thing that's happening I mean like ultimately there is too much television at the moment and this for me just felt like another thing mm-hmm. that had appeared that I had previously been like, yeah, cool, I'll definitely watch that, and then had just like completely blocked from my memory. So to that end, like, what was your initial reaction after watching it, particularly kind of this shift of premise from season one to season two? Because I think that like, because I feel like season one existed like as a nice little... It was perfectly formed, wasn't it? Thing, mm-hmm. just a little thing on it, a document of time literally of time on its own (laughs) yeah i think i yeah was just sort of like okay cool well what are you gonna do and how is this gonna work Mm -hmm. definitely and i think my initial reaction to having watched all of season two now is that it was definitely a good choice to not go back to the time loop premise and Mm. to try something different so we've got this journey back and forth through time and generation of generations of nadia's family as you said um, so it's a journey that's markedly different from season one, yeah. but doesn't doesn't require me to remember everything that happened, but also has enough touch points to the first season where I could go like, oh yeah, you know, Nadia's birthday again, Max's apartment, toilet mirror, blah, 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 you know. Yeah, I liked how self-referential it was in mm-hmm. that sense. I think I'd said to you prior to you watching it, because I, I blasted this all over a weekend um, across two train journeys. Mm-hmm. Um and I think I'd said to you that, like, make sure before you watch it, you do give yourself a little bit of Wiki time synopsis. Kind of like Wikipedia, mm-hmm. what's happening? Because I was like, yeah, I'm pretty sure I remember what's happening. It's what happened in the previous season. It's fine. And then after about five minutes, I had to just pause it and go on Wikipedia and just remind myself everything that had happened because I was like, actually, like, do I, am I, is it required of me to have, like, a really fresh right memory too much time has passed of what's happened or are you going to be going down such a different track that actually like it's really irrelevant and i am glad that i did swap it's kind of a bit advance. of both really isn't it and i'd as you said i you told me to basically re reread what happened in the first season and i'd watched one of those little trailer recaps and was like mm, mm. that's probably not going to do it so i think i read some very helpful like buzzfeed article or something that told me point by point pretty much what happened so that kind of was enough um to get me through without going like oh god what happened but um but yeah initial reaction my expectations were fairly non i didn't really expect anything and i was a bit mm. skeptical so i was pleased that i enjoyed this i think it washed its own face and justified its existence yeah definitely i mean i feel like i i really i had a really good time with it in a way that i was actually quite surprised Mm -hmm. by i like i said i do feel like at the moment there seems to be continually like so much tv seems to be released and i just i'm just not entertaining it yeah i just haven't i really haven't watched as much new television as i ordinarily would Mm -hmm. do yeah and i i think because i 
knew that I had these train journeys coming up and I looked and I saw that they were like half an hour episodes. They I was are like, bite you know what, I'm size, gonna... yeah, they're nice and yeah, bite size. Yeah, I love... I love Natasha Lyonne and I think actually like I'm just gonna like for almost like force myself to sit with it mm-hmm. and I'm really glad that I did because I do think that like actually it it's shifted in quite a clever and interesting direction yeah. in a way that like is self-referential mm-hmm. but not in a like we are simply doing this all over again so obviously this time around they've switched time loops for wormholes mm-hmm. and time travel back in like a sort of a back to the future mm-hmm. sense mm-hmm. and I, I quite like that because obviously you get like little snippets in, in the first season of like Nadia's mum and their backstory mm-hmm. and this sort of like looming I don't know trauma and sort of glee, grief that lingers around Nadia and obviously you've got Ruthie's presence and you know that she was one of Nadia's mum's friends mm-hmm. so you kind of you get like a little glimpse into the background of like you know what Nadia's story is and where she comes from and actually I think that with this second season they've kind of explored that in like a genuinely quite interesting way that actually kind of surprised me yeah it's a lot it goes deeper and darker really doesn't it um I remember that season one like the first few episodes being like ha this is so witty and you know pop culture references Natasha Leon like Mm. amazing and then you get this kind of as you say like it starts going into this difficult relationship between Nadia and her mother and that sort of idea of sort of yeah it kind of touches on inherited trauma doesn't it because Nadia Mm -hmm. is you know a result of this fraught relationship with her mum when she was younger and her upbringing and then this season goes deeper and darker and we get that it kind of takes that difficult relationship and stretches it across numerous generations so we've got the pain that we not only inherit from our parents but also our grandparents and then we've got Nadia trying to use time travel to change the events that led to to what she perceives to be her shitty upbringing and her addiction in the hopes that she can kind of grow up with a more dependable mother so it's a lot I mean it's still very funny um and very witty but it is a lot darker I think than the first even though the first season involved her dying over and over again this was a lot darker it's a different kind of like black comedy Mm. in that sense though so on like the story like you say on the story and kind of like general themes front it does sort of unpack this this notion of like inherited generational trauma so obviously like Vera Nora's mother so uh Nadia's grandmother you know so like the trauma that she has as, as being someone who escaped wartime yeah. and the holocaust fleeing Europe to come to the United States to kind of you know flee all of that but the baggage that that subsequently that she brings with her and then obviously how she then forces that onto Nora mm-hmm. and then subsequently how nor um, how Nadia sorry absorbs not only the the effect that had on her mother but then the effect that like her grandmother's life had over them as a whole Mm -hmm. you know you've sort of got the general impact of the war and Europe on 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 Nadia of course but also on Alan as well and you've got this entire idea of them sort of being descendants of immigrants Mm -hmm. as well there's so much in there about Mm -hmm. grief Um, and obviously of course it's like playing around with ideas of like fate and fatalism and like you say Nadia sort of decides that this what she's going to do is kind of try and change her family's you know the course of their lives because of the way that her mother sort of obviously dealt with like mental health issues and that how affect that how that affected her childhood um and she sort of perceives that as being something that she can stop yeah by sort of changing the direction of their lives and obviously that's just not the case and that those are really weighty they things are. like you say 
so you know the, the the sort of the premise of season one is not lighthearted because Alan in particular is someone that like keeps trying to take his own yeah, life. Yeah. Whereas Nadia's off is often you know sort of more accidental death. Yeah. Um, it's a bit more slapstick, you know, Alan, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. It's it's sort of I don't know. I think I was just really not impressed by it, but I think I was just like, wow, okay, you're going down this like really really dark you know, unpacking things like mm. the Holocaust and actually, you know, the, the burden and baggage of that. Yeah. Um, and kind of handling that in a back to the future-esque way. I think it's very deftly yeah. handled, as you say. Yeah. And also the added weight of kind of knowing that this story in some way builds on Natasha Leon's only, like, own family mm. history. I don't yeah. know, that was in the back of my mind as well. But yeah, yeah, for something that, again, a bit like the the time loop premise could have been kind of a bit, uh, I don't know, back to the future by numbers. Like the, mm-hmm. as you say, it had these very meaty themes um, and then the scripting and the production and the direction feels really fresh. And that idea of, I guess part of that is the idea that Nadia isn't just stuck in the past. She's kind of, she can go back to the present whenever she wants, but she can't help but keep going back to the past and meddling. And she spends more and more time there, doesn't she? As she gets kind of, it, that was the sort of single-mindedness that I was alluding to before. Like she, she's just so desperate to change things that she's missing really important moments in the present because she's so consumed by the past. Um, and I thought, I thought that was really well done. Yeah, I think it's interesting actually because I think I have sort of like a real interest in aspects of like nostalgia mm-hmm. and like actually how can how, how that can consume you yeah. when you're sort of too busy and I don't mean nostalgia in terms of sort of like you know thinking back about the positives and just sort of having you know a real wistfulness for the past in a rockabilly way rockabilly sort of clouds <laughs> yeah in a way that like clouds your actual presence yeah, in the present for sure um but I I feel like in this situation it is sort of like actually you're right she's just spending so much time looking backward for answers essentially when really she's like missing what's going she's on in the really present and future stuff. yeah yeah and I, I think that it was just it was really interesting in that way just just to go in that direction like I was just genuinely quite surprised and actually like it felt like actually like saying it's a natural progression is not the case because obviously nothing about the structure of the of the show is like natural in that regard um but I felt like it it felt it did feel like a natural progression for the character Mm -hmm. and particularly actually if you think about like the time jump between season one and season two so I think obviously it's meant to be like four four years years, it's just sort of interesting to see that like Nadia has obviously overcome this sort of blip yeah essentially that she was stuck in but she still can't let go of the past and that's what I found like really interesting yeah absolutely she it's almost like no time has passed at all really has it because nothing much has changed for her either no did you feel I mean there's obviously a lot more story in this season Mm, and you have to pay more disciplined attention to kind of keep up in a way because there are lots of threads um obviously time Mm. threads and things going on I did wonder if it like I mean it's quite a minor criticism because I think this did do I think it was a really good like I'm glad I watched season two and I think it did really well but I did wonder whether the story was to the slight detriment of some of the great like the just really strong characterization of the first season yeah I I sort of feel the same really. I don't I don't ultimately I don't feel that it is as like slick as co- or cohesive as season 1. Mm. I feel like it doesn't 
really seem to want to unpack Alan's story as much as it That's, does Nadia's, which yeah. makes sense because obviously it is the entire show is structured around Nadia. However, you get this like really interesting glimpse at like Alan's origins and his grandmother's time in Berlin, Berlin yeah. after the war, sort of during the Cold War, and you've got people escaping from. Um, east to west and you get like little glimpses of that and how that affects him and actually you know what that would mean for a Ghanaian immigrant to be in Germany just after the war and to get involved in sort of the kind of um, radical groups that she was involved in so you get a glimpse of it but then it also just like shifts back to Nadia yeah. immediately and I, I felt that like you're right in that I think that was to the detriment of Alan's character, yeah. who I think actually was really interesting in the first season as like a counterbalance to to Nadia. Yeah, I definitely agree. He was the character that I'd sort of pinpointed as like a really strong character. And as you mm. say, we sort of got to know him a bit in the first season. And I think I'd hoped that in season two, we would be hearing from him more and that we'd see his relationship with Nadia a bit more as well, because I really liked yeah. them together. And it just felt yeah. like he got a bit sidelined it's like they as you say it felt like they handed him this really interesting story but then didn't we didn't actually get to spend that much time with him and especially at the end he's kind of i don't know he's kind of just reduced to running around a bit isn't he and he's uh, i'd anticipated they would do a lot more yeah. with his character well, because they I went to quite a lot of effort of sort of yeah, establishing the Berlin <laughs> backstory. Yeah, um, it, it felt there was a li- there was very little payoff with that particular storyline, apart from the fact that obviously, like his grandmother does reappear later and does have some overlap with Nadia's timeline. Um, but that in that in itself just felt shoehorned in for me anyway. Yeah, it definitely did. You kind of, I mean, you get this sense that you know Alan tries to fix the past, but once he realizes it can't be changed, it's kind of game over. He knows, and I guess his. The juxtaposition, the juxtaposition between him and Nadia is that she is far more determined. She just won't. She just won't stop it. She won't give up. She won't sort of mm. lose this battle she's having with herself, essentially. But it was it was a well, bit he, of a shame. Yeah, he feels a lot like a lot more realistic in that sense, mm. whereas she's so headstrong and determined. Yeah, and I suppose that's supposed to be the counterbalance between them. Yeah, but absolutely. it does feel that he's sort of been slightly shafted as a character. Yeah, so I felt a bit. I was a bit bummed about that yeah is there anyone else in the cast and characters that you kind of were favorites for you or standouts in this particular season uh i mean ruth was great again both ruths it was really nice to see annie murphy as a sort of young ruth um and she's, she was brilliant she's so good and it's the figure you feel most sorry and sort of frustrated for in many ways isn't it because nadia yeah. did always have this mother figure there to care for her she just didn't really see it um, until maybe it was too late. So I thought she was brilliant. Mm. Again, I think they're all very... I, I thought they were all good. Like, Natasha Leon obviously, is brilliant. And the main draw and the the voice and the outfit and the one-liners. She's just a joy. She's just mesmerising to watch, isn't she? She's just... You can't take your eyes off her. Yeah. Like, she's just such a presence. She is. She's... In, I mean, like, you'd be obsessed with her if you knew her in real life. You just oh, yeah, think 100%. she's the best. But I, I really liked all of them. Um, and... The, the twist, the end with Ruth is just absolutely devastating. Like I felt, it just made me feel horribly empty, actually. <laughs> yeah, same. It was really funny, actually. Like I, uh, there were little things peppered throughout where I was sort of, I sort of maybe picked up on them. Yeah, 
I think he kind of knew where it might be yeah. heading. And still felt like a gut punch. Yeah, though. I guess you you spend your whole time hoping that Nadia will find a way back in time to kind of have that moment with Ruth. Mm. And I guess we're kind of deprived of it, which, well, I mean, I know we have a moment, but it's not, you know, what you'd hope for, um, which is really but, gut-wrenching. But I think it's why it's quite interesting that you you pointed out the fact that you know, Nadia has always had this mother figure there. She just hasn't realised it because it almost feels like the point in the second season is that she's ever so slightly blind oh, yeah. to the fact that Ruthie was the one that she sh- maybe should have been focusing her attention yeah. on trying to save. Yeah, and her friends know it, like Maxine and oh, what's the other yeah. friend called? Can't remember. I now. can't remember. Um, they know it the whole way through. They don't say it, but they're always mm. there because they're kind of filling in the gaps for her, really, aren't yeah. they? And it's a real shame um and it is is also sometimes it's like obviously not to the same extent but like i totally think back to kind of it made me think about when i it's not the same but i used to i remember finding my diary from when i was younger and i remember Mm -hmm. like there were loads of times we'd go and visit my grandparents and i'd be writing in my diary moaning about how bored i was and how boring it was and how i didn't want to be there and blah 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 and then of course afterwards you just think like what fucking idiot you were. Like, you're a kid, yeah. so th- and that's what kids do. You take advantage yep. of those moments when you're a kid and when you're younger, yeah, but definitely. and then when you're older, you kind of regret it, even though it's sort of an inevitability in a way. But it kind of made me think about that as well. Um, but I, I thought they were all... It was all very well performed, wasn't it? Yeah, definitely. It's a great cast. Um, I, I, sort of, I will just point out that I, I really liked seeing Charlotte Copley, oh, and yeah. I don't really know why. I just, like... When he appeared, I was like, is that Charlotte Copley? And I was like, on IMDb, and I was like, holy shit, it is. And he's, he's like, very, he's like a very funny addition to this cast. He's so I funny. Isn't I was just, he? It just made me think about how he is very good in Free Fire. <laughs> like, he's one of the standout points of Ben Wheatley. He's Weekly's so Free Fire. good in Free Fire. Oh my God. And it's, it's not the same vibe in this at all, but it's, I don't know, no. it's like naturally he's just very funny, isn't he? Yeah. So he was, he was Chairs. a great addition. Um, Chess. Um, one of the things that I feel like Russian Doll did really well in season one and utilizes to its advantage is music and need. Oh God, so much! Season one, we had lots of great musical cues. The most significant of which was the Harry Nilsson song, which which appears over and over. Obviously, it's like Nadia's reset song. But I did feel that like there were so many great reference, like very on brand references for us. Oh yes, um, in this second season. So you've got Depeche Mode's "Personal Jesus." You've got Bella Lugosi's "Dead," um, the Bauhaus song. Um, Danzig was the one that got me. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, on the very mind, I was watching this in public, obviously with my headphones on. When the Danzig needle drop happens, I was just like, Fuck oh my yes. god! Yeah, for me, it was. It was definitely the subway scene with Bauhaus leading almost directly so into good. Mother by Danzig, which completely killed well, me. Two. It was like a time traveling soundtrack through New York. I actually, I really loved the subway scenes in this season, which felt really well choreographed the whole time, like yeah. a dance, like that first journey back in time. And then the scene in episode five, I think it's five, when. Nadia's moving between the different train carriages, like forwards and backwards, and kind of so so well put together. Was brilliant, and yeah, like you say, the needle drops are insane. You've got all of those 
amazing songs and you've got like Velvet Underground and Van Halen and Pink Floyd and then you've got classical music and then you've got like it, it just oh, I don't know it's everything it just shows that everything about this show is really meticulous isn't it and you have to give it, just, it credit for just the detail it knows how to use yeah it, know, it knows how to utilize like music to its advantage in like the best possible the way. best way and there's just such a level of attention to detail there that I think is just like very very clever yes loved um, it so overall any other feelings any other thoughts about it i mean i think ultimately i had a i had a good time with it yeah me too it was much better than i expected um i think season one was probably slightly stronger but it completely Mm. as i said washed its own face and justified its existence and i can kind of i think they did a really good job of it and i would you know if anyone enjoyed season one they should definitely watch season two got no idea what might happen in season three like yeah i'm intrigued they go to the future i don't know i well this was my speculation is that they can only go forward that's kind of they've gone sideways they've gone backwards unless it's just alternate universe stuff although i guess time loop was sort of like ultimate universe although it wasn't it could it could get a bit low-key couldn't it yeah I'm hoping it's future. I'd like to see future, I think. What, like Natasha Leon in like, I don't know, a spacesuit, lots of silver. Yeah, yeah, wearing lots of silver. <laughs> I would enjoy that. Um, yeah, well, me I'll, I'll meet you back here in four years when we talk about Russian Doll season three, eh? <laughs> so, on to one of the biggest, I don't know, moments of the, the sort of pop culture calendar, I guess. Fashion's biggest night. Fashion. It's fashion's biggest night. It's Stefan April talking once again about the Met Gala. <laughs> um, it almost feels like I don't even need to do an intro because we've introed the Met Gala so many times. Yeah. But for those that don't know... Uh, It is the annual fundraising gala held for the benefit of the Metropolitan Museum of Arts Costume Institute in New York City. And as April has alluded, it is regarded as the world's most prestigious fashion night and invitations to the event are highly sought after and very expensive. Um, We get celebrities from all kinds of fields, so film, fashion, TV, music, sports, social media, loads of rich business people I don't care about as well. Um, that I've never heard of fine to that no mostly quite boring it's a very rich night indeed Um, it's held annually on the first month of May and it marks the opening of the Costume Institute's annual fashion exhibit on the Upper East Side of Manhattan and each year's event celebrates a specific theme which is uh, based on the Costume Institute's exhibition and the exhibition sets the tone for the formal attire of the night so guests are expected to curate their fashion to match the theme. Mm -hmm. Um, The 2022 Met Gala felt like it came round perilously quickly because the 2020 gala was cancelled due to the pandemic and then the 2021 gala was rescheduled for september so really we haven't had that much time um since the last one and the theme of this year is in america an anthology of fashion and this is based on a two-part exhibition so this is part two whereas september 2021 was part one Um, At the bottom of the Met Gala invitations is an inscription, um, which is vitally important. It is the dress code. So in 2021, for this exhibit, attendees were instructed to dress according to American independence. And this time they were told that the dress code was gilded glamour white tie. 
So they were encouraged to approach late 19th century clothing through a modern lens. And for those that are stupid like me, white tie essentially means a black tail coat and trousers with a white shirt, vest and bow tie, or a full length evening gown with long gloves optional. Um, And Gilded Glamour alludes to Gilded Age New York, which is a period which stretches between 1870 and 1890. And it's a time, according to Vogue, so don't quote me on this, it's a time of unprecedented prosperity, cultural change and industrialisation. So colours were rich, deep jewel tones, hats were important, corsets were important. So keep all of this in mind uh, when we're talking about April's favourite phrase ever, quote unquote, the assignment. Who met? The assignment, April. How many times was that? I'm surprised that phrase wasn't trending on Twitter. Good Lord. um, I woke up at like 3am and in a a bout of like, I can't sleep, I'm going slightly insane. (laughs) I obviously logged on to Twitter. Never a good idea at night. Never a good idea. And I was just scrolling through a lot of the like Met Gala reactions in real time. And I was just so sick of seeing that like, oh my God, this person understood the assignment that I somehow coherently fired off a tweet that basically... I did enjoy that. Can we stop using... Can we just stop saying it? Like... No more. No more assignments, please. It's losing all meaning. It really is. And this morning, I saw that I'd posted that and I was like, wow, that was very... um, Right on the nose for like three a.m. This well, morning. that's what happens when you're when you're lacking in sleep. But you're right. Yeah. I mean, it's got to the point where I think there were even people that I saw that tweeted about. That's like, well, I think like it would be like, oh, this person hasn't met the assignment. Well, they kind of have. And what is the assignment at this point? Who knows? It's just so open to interpretation. So it's kind of mad. Mm. Um, and what do we want from Met Gala? Again, we've talked about this before. I sort of do subscribe to the go big or go home. I know that's yeah, not same. technically the point, but I just feel like if you can wear it to the BAFTAs, I don't want to see it. I don't want to see famous people wearing things they would already be wearing to any other red carpet yeah. event. Like that to me is just like so endlessly tedious. It's a benefit in aid of a costume institute and you are given a theme so it's like why can't we just lean into it this is just rich person fancy dress isn't it isn't it essentially and i refuse to be told otherwise by anyone who's like no they don't have to be ridiculous well no, they for do. me they, they do, do because if these people are going to be rich and rub my face in it they might as well give me like something to be happy about and something to make fun of them for. Yes. So that is the whole point in this event. Why else would we be tuning in? So what did we get this year? I am going to say not much really. Kind of a bit boring. It was a real mixed bag. And the bag is full of more negatives for me than positives. Mm. It's it's not even that I think it was a particularly overly complicated theme. Like in the past, some of the themes have been quite tricky to mm-hmm. sort of interpret in a way that isn't like odd. Is it kind of a boring theme? It is kind is of a boring a bit, theme. Is it a bit boring? I feel like it is. It's boring to a point, but then it also, for me, feels so easy to replicate that it's actually yeah. just like galling that like people didn't really bother it kind of i mean yeah gilded glamour is is yeah it's fairly you can do oh god i'm not gonna say you can do the homework on that can't you it's fairly yeah. um we've been told fairly what that means it took me two seconds to google image search yeah and go oh okay big hat boobs yeah. 
corset, sure. long train, great. great, let's go big and gold. Um, yeah. It's And especially when we've had years like camp, which was a lot more fun. This felt a little bit, I don't know, I was definitely not so fussed about the theme of this exhibit or the last one with American independence. It hasn't lent itself i don't know it's just less interesting and also this year we just had so many key players that were missing yeah i'm um i'm 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 sort of ongoing in an ongoing state of like constant intrigue as to like why certain people weren't there the people that were just obviously busy absolutely fair play but then there's particular people that weren't there last time either and is it a thing that they're not vaccinated Mm, yeah well i don't know but i mean like rihanna obviously is like the key draw so she's got a legit excuse i will allow pregnancy also i just feel like rihanna just does what rihanna wants and if she wants to turn up she will because she's been going to a lot of other red carpet like she's been at a lot of other fashion stuff during this pregnancy so i don't think it's a i'm a pregnancy issue no but it is a legitimate excuse if she wanted to use it yeah but like no lady gaga interesting mm-hmm. no harry styles when he i don't know if he's in london or la he's always between london and la so he's around he can fly in no harry styles no timothy chalamet no zendaya no beyonce there's quite a few beyonce is the names. one for me that there's been a lot of rumors about is it is it a vaccination thing zendaya i know has come out and said that like the reason she's not present is because she's filming yeah at the moment yeah but it so doesn't really like feel like Met Gala without these people. Why are we even here? I know, I know. I mean, I, I feel like ever since the Roman Catholic palpal Nothing has beat that. One in no. 2018, nothing has really Truly come close. Truly nothing will beat that. No. I mean, Camp was a good run-up, but that was like... That was the gold standard, really, wasn't it? And I think um, we did... I think we did peak with Rihanna dressed as a Pope. Yeah, we have, truly we have peaked in that moment. Um, But should we go through what we liked and disliked anyway? I have chosen to go by personal preference rather than quote unquote met the assignment because... Yes, same. Yes, I have as well. I mean, speaking on behalf of both of us, we don't really have that much intelligence as to whether these outfits allude to something unless i mean unless it's like big corset boobs and a massive hat i could be like oh this person didn't meet the assignment and they actually did in a very subtle way that i'm not aware of so less assignment based more did i think it looked good yeah these are my like initial immediate reactions and not like sitting and reading about the nuances of the costumes and how it does that in fact like link back to some extremely oh, yeah. tenuous link to something no, in the Gilded Age. Is... like i'm sure i'm sure there are lots of really interesting interpretations from the designers about Possibly, how it fits the bill maybe but... but our homework was literally to look at some pictures on the vogue website so yeah as always doing lots of very scientific analysis it's and all research very scientific from us. yeah, yeah. Did we like or did we not like? Well, let's talk a bit about what you liked then. Tell me what you liked. Well, my favourite was Oscar Isaac in Olivera Lind. You shock um, me. In Tom Brown. I know, isn't that like the most shocking piece of information you've heard? What a shock. I was really pleased yesterday when I discovered that Oscar Isaac was going to be present because I was like, oh, okay, well, at the bare minimum, like at least he'll be there 
potentially in a boring suit, mm-hmm. but it'll be fine because it's him. But he's made a lot of like sartorial choices recently, particularly during the Moon Knight mm-hmm. press tour. He was doing a lot of like interesting things and he'd been skirting, haha, doing <laughs> a lot of like work with Tom Brown in particular. And when I read that he was going to be at the Met Gala, I did suspect that he would be there with on behalf of Tom Brown and he and his wife were. Um, I just really like the fact that like I'm obsessed with Elvira Lind, his wife anyway, because mm-hmm. I just think she's like extremely cool. And she wore a full uh, tuxedo suit, mm-hmm. like very like Marlene Dietrich. She just looked amazing. And also I just really like that she consistently leans into like doing very little with her hair. Like, and she's like a fringe, she's a she's a fringe girl. She's got bangs. She's, she's a long fringe girl, isn't she? Yeah. And I just think it looked amazing. He wore like a, a sort of a tunicky skirt-based like suit. It was a nice swap. Yeah, I just sort of like the gender swap and the fact that they sort of looked matching and stuff. Yeah, whether or not they fit the assignment, who knows? I guess it is a suit, isn't it? So top and tails. Should he have worn a corset? Who can say? I would have liked that. But um, they looked very attractive and lovely They're together, so hot. aren't they? And I feel like they must have a really rich and fulfilling life together. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Well so that, done, then. That was, that was the big one for me. Yeah, of course. Um, there were quite a few other people in Tom Brown, actually, that I sort of thought... I mean, Lizzo was Tom Brown as well. Of course. I love that she took a flute with her. Uh, that was, I put, glad she brought the flute. <laughs> She's always a delight anyway, isn't she? But I just really loved her doing the red carpet in her outfit uh, with a flute. It was like high-end bedding that I want to get my hands on. I thought it had sofa energy. It does, doesn't it? It has. It had William Morris energy. I was like into tapestry. It. Yeah, yeah. It was perfect. Did you know that it took twenty two thousand hours to make? Jesus. Apparently, Christ. according to Google, which I honestly am starting to worry that that might have been a typo because twenty two thousand hours. How many? How many days is that? Should we? Find I was going to say, have you done the maths? Uh, no, I'm going to do it right now. Maths in real time. 916 days. So it literally took years. There's no way that... I mean, that must have been just a piece of material they had knocking around. There's no There's no way they spent three <laughs> years. Three just a years. piece of material they had knocking no, around. No, but I mean, like, that. it must be like a piece of, of, of like, embroidery that they've... Someone has been Should working on out? for three years that they've decided to 22, use the outfit. 22,000, yeah. 22,000 no hours. Three years ago, someone was like, oh, this is going to be Lizzo's outfit for 2022. That's, Apparently that's they like were. impossible. I don't Apparently buy it. Apparently they were. And her flute cost $55,000. Well, in, musical instruments are quite expensive. I hope she didn't so... drop that down the loo. Good Lord. Yeah, right. Um, but lovely, yes. I think Christine Baranski wore Tom Brown as well, which mm-hmm. I thought was great. Um, someone who else wore Tom Brown that I absolutely fucking hated was unfortunately Travis Barker and Kourtney uh, Kardashian uh, that's because that they Courtney tried to bring outfit. good lord vile it's because I think she's Babe. trying to bring some sort of like punk twist hideous to it, but, um, stop anyway. stop doing the punk twist we'll move on to yeah we'll talk about that gross oh who were some others that I really liked I uh, really enjoyed Kid Cudi in Kenzo yes I like he, his cape he's Big cape energy, isn't he? This isn't yeah. this isn't the first time we've seen him in a cape. I feel like he likes donning he likes the Dracula look. We've it seen was him very it Dracula, before. wasn't it? I'm sure of it. It was. Bright blue vampire vibes. Um 
I also really like Joshua Jackson and Jodie Turner-Smith. Beautiful, extremely beautiful. Just such a gorgeous couple. Insanely hot. Incredible in this sort of like diamante beaded, like very, very like streamlined dress. And then he just looked fabulous in like a proper top and tails. They looked lovely. There weren't many, um, obviously, apart from Oscar Isaac and Eric, there wasn't there weren't many really attractive couples. Like, wow, you look mm. great together. So, yeah, Joshua Jackson and Jodie, definitely. He's ageing so well. Oh, lovely. Glad to Just... see my favourite man from... Uh, I'm not going to say Dawson's Creek. I'm going to say Urban Legends. There you go. Oh, love that. <laughs> love that for you. Um, I really liked Phoebe Bridges in Jonathan Simkai. Um, though I will say that I... I when I saw the photo of her on the red carpet, I thought she'd shaved her head because her hair is very oh, slicked back. I did that with her and Kim Kardashian at one point. Yeah, I was like, oh my god, she shaved her head for the red carpet. Amazing. Yeah. Um, did you not think that she? You could kind of wear that anywhere. It uh, it was very pretty, obviously. Yeah, I think I don't know. I think I was just pleased to see that she was there. I thought nice it was interesting. Yeah, I think it was interesting that she didn't do the red carpet initially with Paul Mescal. He was there with Daisy Edgar Jones. Yeah. And controversially, I will say that I feel like Paul Mescal's PE teacher moustache is really growing on me. I wondered if you would bring that up. Mm, yeah, I hated it. And now the more that I'm subjected <laughs> to it, I quite like it. I think you can pretty much justify anything he does. Like, I mean, yeah. I wouldn't allow many people to wear those kinds of shorts with white legs, but no. y- you just let you just give him a pass, don't you? You just give him a pass. Yeah. I thought Chloe Grace Moretz in Louis Vuitton. Oh, I can't remember what that looked like. I'm going to have a Google. Carry on. You can hear me typing. It was like a, uh, I've described it as like having big founding father's energy. <laughs> she right. wore trousers and it was like a... I don't know, 1700s, 1800s, sort of like long jacket. She had like oh, yes, a, a founding father's ponytail. That's the only way I can think to describe it. A founding it. father's... Yeah, it's very sleepy yeah. hollow. Well done. It is, isn't it? That's yeah. why... I, and I felt like in terms of like actual execution of the theme and something that I quite liked... That's a bit Disney Prince as well, job. isn't it? Very it is, nice. isn't it? It's very Good. much like should be standing next to a carriage. Yeah. Yeah. Very nice. Yeah, I approve. I... <laughs> I... I do not like Blake Lively in the slightest. I find her really irritating, but... And I forget her husband exists routinely. Yeah, I, I, I don't like to have to acknowledge the existence of Ryan Reynolds at the best of times, but... No. You have to give credit where credit is due, though. Yeah, I feel like she did a really good job. She was wearing Versace. She had this really nice, like, flowing long dress with a massive chain and... Um, gloves and I thought she did a really like was a really nice interpretation of the theme like that felt like an obvious connection yeah, to me and it, it changed didn't it it had the bronze and then it changed yeah. into the aged bronze sort of a la Statue of Liberty which was very cool but yeah, yeah. she she looked very good I she would say she looked really good mm-hmm. yeah really really good I really liked Riz Ahmed yes um, in his four S designs mostly because I thought it was really interesting how he as a person of colour, had sort of like taken on this theme, which, um, let's be honest, is very uh, geared toward a very... I mean, the whole Met Gala is like an extremely rich, like, rich white person event, isn't it? Yes, but of course. the Gilded Age theme in particular is sort of like addressing a particular period in culture 
that is was largely prosperous for like the white demographic that's kind of yeah it's kind of when i why i quoted vogue around that kind of um it was a time of unprecedented prosperity because at any time of prosperity (laughs) you know that there is a huge raft of people that are certainly not living in prosperity so it's just an interesting turn of phrase isn't it and his outfit was really heavily influenced by sort of the immigrants who'd kept the Gilded Age going, mm-hmm. helped it to prosper. So he was wearing sort of, he had like a workwear jacket and he had like long uh, black boots on and like workwear trousers with like knee pads um, and a white vest. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just quite a striking contrast to what a lot of the other men were wearing on the red yes, carpet as well. And definitely. I just, I thought of, I liked the thought process behind it and I liked the story behind it mm-hmm. as well. Absolutely. Um, and... I quite liked Maud Apatow and Mumu. Oh, yeah, yeah. Just because it was sort of like, I don't know, a bit gothy. It's like it's not theme appropriate, but I thought she looked good. And Yes, very pretty, I, indeed. I've got Bradley Cooper on my list. <clears throat> was it for that tweet? Oh, my God. <laughs> that tweet, I haven't stopped thinking about it all day. How are you going to describe and that tweet without I'm blushing? not going to. I'm just going to link to it. Okay, just but okay. so you have to check out Twitter and look at the tweet. It will be I'm not linked. saying it out loud. It's really filthy. It's naughty. But... It's really naughty. But once you see it, you can't unsee it. So He just looked really hot yesterday. He did. Basic but hot is my... I feel like with Bradley Cooper, if you get him on a good day... He looks incredible. And then you look at him on a bad day and he just looks like the most average man in the world. He's really, really hot in A Star Is Born, but then you see him in something else and you're like, is he I hot? I thought it was really like, hot in Nightmare Alley as well. Yeah, but personally. I feel like we constantly have this back and forth of like, is he hot? Is he yeah, not hot? Yeah, sometimes I question myself. But yeah, he looked really good yesterday. He did. And that's sort of it for me. Yeah. I will say. I, I think I've been quite generous. Go on. Actually, my list's quite long. I've oh, been really generous. Then. I'm in a good a real mood. Real contrast. Yeah. My my I hate list is a bit longer. A bit longer. So. Oh, I look forward yeah. to that. Um, who else did I have? I had uh, Kwana Chasing Horse, who was wearing that sort of turquoise and silver gown with traditional indigenous jewellery designs, which looked absolutely she looked beautiful. incredible. Absolutely incredible. I liked... Uh, so a person that I actually quite liked, who I don't often like, that sounds mm. mean, is very hit and miss, is Emma Corrin. So, and that Ooh, was Mew yes. as well, uh, styled by the one and only Harry Lambert. A couple of times recently, Emma's stuff, I've been like, mm, it's not for me. Distinctly not for me. What was the outfit that Emma wore? It was like the nude was it plastic the thing? bra thing. Yes. Just not for me. I mean, they always have a really strong look, so credit mm. for that. But I liked this inspired by um, Berry Wall, so like King of the Dudes, Top Hat. I just think it suited them really well. Um, yeah, I, I did like good. the hat. I thought that was a good vibe. That was a good thing. Um, I What else did I like? I quite liked Kiki Lane, pink flowers, white long oh, gloves, yeah, that afro, nice. beautifully balanced, looked stunning. Uh, Normani, who was wearing Christian Siriano, which mm-hmm. was the black velvet, it was a like very velvet black little hat, tummy out. Um, very nicely shaped. I thought that looked, that was definitely a, like a modern, it was the the 19th century through the modern lens. You could absolutely tell that. So I thought that was lovely. Um, I liked, Dove Cameron was the, uh, was wearing that corset. It was like the corset outfit, but if you took the corset off, so it was just the bone. Steph. I quite, I I thought that was cool. I've written. Is it in your hate column? 
I said, why did Dove Cameron go dressed as a chicken? Oh. I didn't like the weird little bit at the back. That it was the gave... corset bone. Mm, just that big rooster energy. It wasn't into that. It. I liked that. It was like taxidermy rooster energy. Why not? Um, <laughs> I liked that it was the under the under corset. I was into yep, it. sure. Fair, fair. But fine. Um, who else did I like? Uh, Chloe Bailey didn't come with Hallie. Sad, sad. Um, but completely unhinged but i'll take it sort of gold very abstract looked a bit like she needed to be on dr pimple popper that's the second reference i've done in this episode um very nice necklace definitely made a statement yeah i thought i know one that you didn't like that i liked was jessica chastain and gucci it was Mm. the deep red fortune teller it's yeah i think i just want to wear it Mm. i don't think i i don't I've, i've I keep going back and forth about this. I've been going back and forth about it all day. Um, I do feel like it just has it just has such fortune teller energy. Yeah, I quite I quite liked that. Yeah, I think that's who. If I had to pick a profession from the nineteenth century, it's fortune teller. That's I mean, it's my cost- go to. It felt. What I will say about it is, it felt costume. It's a costume, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Didn't go wrong. No. True. Madeline Petch had a Moschino, massive, gaudy armbands. Loved it. Just felt she's gorgeous. very much. She's so hot. She seems very lovely as well. Um, I quite liked Lenny Kravitz, who was doing Harry Styles circa 2019 on speed. Mostly, I just love the shape of his boobs. So <laughs> very good bust, leather and lace. I knew full well. Did you know that that was coming? Saw- yeah, I was like, God, like, Steph's, well, Steph's going to lose a bloody mind over that. What a yeah. lovely man. Uh, I thought Cardi B was like, fine in Versace, mile of gold chain. She said gilded is gold, so she did that, fine. Yeah, I did think that was very Cardi B interpretation felt of very, it in I a think really good way. Cardi B in Versace and um, Megan Thee Stallion in Moschino felt like very typical of them. I would say. Yes. Yeah, definitely. They both did look phenomenal. Looked very good. Um, Didn't, like, wasn't surprising, really, because you just expect them both to look quite, I don't know, to stand out from the crowd, be quite impressive and look very attractive at the same time. Cardi B's one had, like, big, like, funny girl energy. Oh, yeah. Barbara Streisand type. Yeah, definitely. Which I I thought was really good. I almost have no men on this, I've just realised. Fine. So, my two men are Yaya Abdul-Mateen II, very hot. hot. He did the white tie, very, very hot. We'll allow him that. I cannot believe we've basically given men a pass to wear suits this year. Annoyed. Um, Do you know what I think it is, though? I think I've just got no. I think I've just got no energy to get annoyed at the men. There's no point anymore, is there? There's no point. Stormzy looked great, though. Stormzy looked amazing, very tall, wonderful. Um, And the other one I had was Winnie Harlow, who was wearing that sort of Iris Van Herpen. Again, always impresses. Very good headdress, futuristic Mm. ballerina. I'm going to call a good ballerina for reasons that will become apparent. I feel like last time with the Met Gala in at the was it September last year? Mm-hmm. It was, wasn't it? I feel like there was a lot of like Iris Van Herpen that we sort of there quite was. liked, actually. Yeah, there was some goods. What about, what did you hate? Because that's the fun one. 
Well, my general consensus is that most people looked bad and they didn't follow the theme. Yes. So that's just my overarching comment is that like there really was more bad than good. And and my list here is is long, but it's not as long as it could be because I, I just thought like I can't. There were like over 250 pictures in that Vogue gallery and I was like, I'm not going to sit here. And it missed quite quality. a lot of people off. Sorry, but yeah. there were quite a few people missing from that Vogue gallery, which then annoyed me. But that's a minor I just gripe. Thought, I just thought I can't add, I can't do like an a- actual commentary of like literally over Blow by blow. We'd we'll be here for hours, no. Um, why was Cara Delevingne topless? I've got like no time for Cara Delevingne anymore. Like, no, I think we ha- I think we're both quite negatively predisposed to her now. Just didn't, didn't enjoy that. I did well, not need to see it. probably on theme, but I just didn't care was about I? it either. Was it? I don't know. Golden boobs and cane. That will probably do it. Um, I didn't like Nicki Minaj in Burberry. No. What was the head thing? It I looked like know. an inflatable head. I thought she was wearing a pair of Beats by Dre initially. <laughs> it was just like weird leather daddy, but like not in a cool way. No, I didn't it. like that. And it also um, had similar to um, Kylie Jenner in Off-White. It's the cap thing, isn't it? Well, the thing is with... I I really, 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 really didn't like kylie jenner's outfit at all it looked like a wedding dress but and i did not understand the cap and the veil i do know that it it's off-white and i do know that it was a a sort of a heartfelt reference to virgil abdullah who Mm -hmm. who passed away last year so i don't want to be too like going hard and be like extra critical about it it still didn't work it just didn't work no oh and i just spent an inordinate amount of time today on the internet looking at pictures of Kylie Jenner and kind of seeing how her like child face is coming through because she's either like not had enough fillers or it's the fact that I'm seeing her now without the Instagram filters right. and, and she's being also, faced she's still like 12 isn't she yeah I'm being faced with the reality of like what she actually looks like versus what she puts on Instagram so there we go um I have extremely mixed feelings about Kim Kardashian wearing the Marilyn Monroe dress did you not feel that obviously homage fine um did you not feel that uh, i just felt if you took that context away that shape dress is basically what she always wears anyway isn't that just it's really samey and i also do not enjoy the discourse around the fact that she felt the need to be really explicitly transparent about the fact that she'd had to lose 16 pounds in order to get into yeah. the dress because that's just like extremely disturbing to me that you lost that much weight in two weeks by doing yeah, it's like a tiny saunas and waist training yeah. it's it's fucked it's so fucked up and i just i have ex- extremely mixed feelings about her anyway and this was just like i actually just don't need to know this like i don't no it's not good um, and it's also not the best she's looked anyway right I so just... it just felt odd it felt like more like i'm it you know it felt like a showy gesture and also I didn't realise until I read today that she wasn't even able to wear the dress for the duration of the evening she simply wore it on the red carpet oh god why because it was that uncomfortable no because it was so fragile and she didn't want to damage it so she basically changed into she wore the original and then after she'd done the red carpet and had been up the stairs she changed into a replica because she didn't want to eat and wear it for the rest of the evening in case she got it well she didn't spill like like, pasta on it spag can you imagine getting spag bowl down it oh no but it is a lot isn't it to be the person who is wearing marilyn monroe's dress you are positioning yourself in a very it just felt odd. Awkward. Um, Pete Davidson also just looked like he had worn a top man suit, so that was... It felt very much like I have to go to a friend's wedding, didn't it? Yeah, definitely. 
Um, I obviously, as I said, did not really understand Dove Cameron, but that's fine. Um, I, I was there for it. That's okay. <laughs> um, I why was David Harbour dressed? Oh no, like Daddy Warbucks, like he was in The Greatest Showman. I yeah, I sort of like I I didn't hate it. it was fine. But I also isn't it? hated it a lot. It's <laughs> just if. Like no, that's a thing. Um, I did not like Gigi Hadid's Versace puffer jacket. Was it the coat? It was just the coat. Yeah, yeah. It was the coat. It was a bit. It's nice. It was a really nice color. Yeah, Gigi Hadid is one of the go big or go homes, but hmm. sort of. I'm about to undo everything I've said before. It is like one of the ones that always goes big, but almost without, I don't know, any point sometimes. Although saying that, if Rihanna wore that, I'd probably say it was great. So yeah, that's it's probably fine, based though, on person, it? but I wasn't fussed um, about that either. No, um, Billie Eilish wore Gucci and sort of did the theme quite well because it was corseted and stuff. But It was she, quite a boring to, dress though. But to me, she just looked like a bar wench. Yeah, she just well, she was just Helena Bonham Carter, wasn't she? Yeah, it's the hair. It it gave way too much hair, like early Tim Burton Helena Bonham Carter. I wasn't into it. If she'd been blonde at the moment, I think it would have worked much better. Yeah, maybe. But it was like the strikingly dark hair anyway. Um, I also feel like poor Phineas is just shortchanged in every aspect because no, (laughs) no, no, (laughs) Phineas, no. Yeah, he's not only living in her shadow but he had to wear this weirdly fitting gray suit the last one i've written down was cody smith mcphee oh god yeah just giving real bronco henry energy which sort of felt funny but then also it did look like he was going to go and stick his hand up a cow's bum yeah totally did didn't it just doing veterinary chic prostate examinations um, for free on so the that, carpet. That's, that's that's my list of those I particularly hated. I was I just didn't really like any of them though, so I had to sort of stop at a point. No, there was quite a lot of badness, wasn't there? Um, I'm trying to look at who else I didn't like. Olivia Rodrigo in Versace. It was basically the outfit I aspired to wear to my high school prom, like with the butterflies I... in her hair. I didn't like that. I just, I really, really, really need this early 2000s trend nostalgia to die yes that's and, and she is such a big culprit of it yes she is and i just felt like this would have been like a really nice opportunity to like just do something different and i respect to a point that she'd sort of gone like actually i'm just gonna do my twist on it because obviously like why not that's what most people do but i just didn't like i just it just did feel like high school prom yeah. energy. I give her a pass because she's a child, but it is yeah. on my thumbs down list for sure. I am not sure what happened to Gwen Stefani's face. Well, surgery happened. Lots of surgery. Face. So that was just on my thumbs down list um, because it just felt a bit weird. Uh, Elon Musk and his baggy face were also there, but don't. His face is sagging. So good lord. Much, um, Camilla Cabello looked a bit ASOS. Not good. A bit ASOS. It did. I I feel bad for her because I I do not care about. Well, I do not care about Sean Mendes in the slightest, but he was so handsome looking. Oh, Disney Prince. 
Disney Prince, and then she turns up and just looks a bit ropey. And oh it's like, God, oh, she it's does. It's quite she? sad that your ex is looking like oh, banging. And you don't want that, do like, you? No, you don't you, want that. You need to impress, and it's not working. Yeah. Um, Chris Jenner, just honestly, the Kardashians and the Jenner, just insane. Um, had Oscar de la Renta. It was basically a yellow Dunelm curtain, which none <laughs> of us need to see again. Horrible. Uh, Jared Leto and Gucci. Oh, that entire situation with Alessandro. No, I just didn't rank. I didn't like it. And then there's that picture of the both of them with Dakota Johnson yeah. in the middle of the sandwich. Not into it. No, thank no, you. No, no, not at all. Um, who else did I have? Oh, fi- we need to discuss Sebastian Stan. Mm-hmm. In Valentino. Mm-hmm. What's what's going on there? What's going on there, April? <sighs> Look, the thing is, he came camp. so. He's so handsome. He is. He is so. I was so pleased that he was there. He is so nice to look at. But I cannot believe, and I think it's his first time at the Met Gala. Yeah. I can't believe that he went in like he looked like a Ken doll. Pepto Bismol. Pepto Bismol, like really big fan of Nicki Minaj. Pink Friday. Ah, oh, yes, of course. Great era. He's a barb. It's turned up to Greta Gerwig's film like a couple of years too early. I just, oh, I was distressed when I saw it. I wasn't no. into it. Um, I know lots of people were. I wasn't. But he is incredibly handsome. So who cares? If um, he wasn't so handsome, then it just would be an abomination. Right. I had a few people as well that were under looked nice but didn't stand out. So I'm going to quickly zip through them. Um, Sydney Sweeney in Tory Birch, white, fine. You're very yeah. beautiful. I really like Sydney Sweeney, but completely standard. Um, mm-hmm. I thought Dakota Johnson in Gucci, very pretty. She looked, she looked lovely. She always yeah, she looks look lovely. lovely. Um, yeah. I do think she's very, very pretty, but like, fine. She could definitely wear that to another reward ceremony, couldn't mm. she? But Hayley Bieber, who I inexplicably have a lot of time for, and I just will never understand it in Saint Laurent. Lovely, angelic, flowy, fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brooklyn Beckham's wife, Nicola Peltz Beckham, cute pink dress, standard. Lily James, we've discussed this before, don't really like her. Always looks nice, in my honest opinion, but could have worn that anywhere as well. Yeah, yeah. Emma Stone, I wanted to put on the thumb down list, but I felt bad because she was wearing her wedding after party dress. So sustainability, yay. Um, it was really nice to see her. Like, I, I've really missed Emma Stone <laughs> like doing Like catching stuff. up with a friend. Nice to see yeah, you, Emma. Yeah, honestly, when I saw her, I was like, oh, Emma Stone's back. Yeah. Props nice. for recycling. Yeah, bad ballerina. Did... Yeah, yeah. That's the I way wasn't to feeling it. it. Um, no. And also just Jacob Elordi. Boring, but tall and hot. He's just wearing a suit, Steph. He's just, just wearing a suit. So hot. But he's wearing his he's just boring suit though. Yeah, hot though. If you're gonna hot give though. Sebastian Stan a pass, you can give yeah, Jacob but at least a he pass put like too. a moderate amount of effort. He in. didn't put a lot of effort in that. They just strapped him in. Sure. But um but that was my list. There were millions of others, but that was my list. I would be moderately intrigued to see what other people thought. But only moderately, because I don't really care about most people's opinions, but no, I have basically just spent most of today thinking about Oscar Isaac and as it should be. Yeah, that is very fair. Um, yeah, nice so. to have Met Gala, I guess. Can the next theme be something really over the top, please? Like, I don't know, bowl of fruit or... I, <laughs> I want something like absolutely batshit next Pirate. time. 
pirates pirate uh, theme vampires oh yeah zombies horror theme generally would be great horror theme would be would be really cool that would be cool yeah yeah pirates uh we've already had space haven't we really yeah anything else what else would be good animal theme furry theme yeah yeah (laughs) that would be great what else could we have just like arts and crafts pipe cleaners if they have to make it at home they have to make it at home yes yeah that would be good like clothes swap clothes swap yeah clowns (laughs) i would hate carnival carnival no that would be a bit weird i think i would be american horror story american horror story colon met gala yeah any of the american horror stories just pick from any any of ryan murphy's anthologies yeah brilliant that would work yeah so look forward to those themes safe bet can't wait can't wait catch you here uh same time in the next 12 months uh so after all of that what is your obsession of the week please uh my obsession of the week is that i started re-watching supernatural from the very start season one through to season 15 and wesley caught me watching it and was like what are you doing there I was like, uh, I'm watching Supernatural. Oh, uh, I might watch a bit of that with you. And now we are religiously watching it every night. And when I make dinner, I say, what do you want to watch? And Wesley says, quote unquote, can we watch our boys? So I'm having a lovely time going through um, this journey with him. I feel like it's really bonded us quite closely. And I just really love Dean Winchester. I think he's very sad. He's got beautiful tears. I would drink them. Um, I like his outfits and his car and I like his rage issues and how much he likes pie. So that's what I've been thinking about at the moment. What is your obsession of the week? Mm, Well, I I sort of did a bit of thinking about this and I couldn't really think of anything. It's just Oscar Isaac, isn't it? I have spent a lot of time thinking about Oscar Isaac. A thing I will say is that I've been really off television, as we discussed when we mm-hmm. were talking about Russian Doll. I've just really been like hyper-focusing on watching The Walking Dead, The Walking Dead, The Walking Dead. So like, but however, I have started watching the season three of Barry mm-hmm. uh, started uh, uh, two weeks ago. And I'm really glad that's back because I just remembered how much I enjoy Bill Hader um, Lovely and the Bill. construction of Barry as a whole, as a show, I think it's really clever and it's just some of the best writing on television. So I'm really glad that I actually bothered to pick it up from the like the beginning episode rather mm. than just doing what I keep doing, which is saying I'll catch up and then not bothering. Yeah. And then similarly, my my personal impatience has meant that I've I started watching We Own This City, which is the new HBO. Uh, David Simon, Joel Pelicanos mm. drama, which I think is coming to Now TV in June, which probably means after it's finished on HBO because it's airing on HBO Max at the moment. And I am two episodes deep in that, and I it's giving me like very The Wire vibes, which is inevitable because mm-hmm. it's David Simon and it's set in Baltimore. But also, I just really hate how good John Bernthal is at playing cops and i i really wish he would stop playing bloody copaganda eh between him and jake gyllenhaal oh at the same time he's really good at playing cops Mm -hmm. distressing so yeah just just those really not nice to have the hop for a cop 
Oh, it's really stressful, and he looks like a real shitbag in this as well. So it's like he's not even he's not even that hot. They've tried to make him ugly, but it's John. It Byrne doesn't work, so does like, it? Can't what are you gonna do? You can't tarnish that. You can't tarnish that. So yeah, there we go. Lovely Those things. Lovely. Um, so that's our stone. You can find us online with Twitter at the Thirst, we're on Podbean, and all the usual podcast places, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify. You can find us by searching for the Thirst. We're Instagram at the Thirst Pod. The Thirst Pod WordPress is our blog, and you can also find us on Facebook by searching for the Thirst Pod as well. Uh, thanks very much. Bye. Goodbye. <laughs> Oh, 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 oh,